Hello, I'm Jeff Lister, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. March brings with it episode 266, wherein Graham McMillan and I talk Neil Marshall, John Arcudi, and the new Hellboy trailer, Jeff Johns, Tom King, and Doomsday Clock, Exorcisters, Action Comics and Heroes in Crisis, Aquaman the Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, David Wolken, yes, that's right, we do talk about David Wolken quite a bit, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Oop. Sir, what just happened? I was going to tell you, like, oh, Graham, you got to say that again, and then saliva. <coughs> that was the greatest thing. Yeah. Please just start the episode with your coughing. <laughs> no. And then we'll just go from there, because that's exactly how we should start. Yes, yes. Let let people know what they're really going to be in for. Uh, yeah, no, let's try it one more time, just in case, Graham. Okay. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Hello. How how the devil are you, sir? I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I suppose I'm lightly deviled, I suppose. Oh, mildly deviled. deviled. Yeah, yeah. How about yourself? Uh, I have, as I've told you in email, had a bad week. Bad week made worse by the fact I just burped, and I hopefully you didn't hear it, but we'll see. Um, I've had, I've had a really bad weekend, so I am feeling crazily dazed today. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really uh, not with it. Which is fine, because my craziness ended up resolving yesterday, which is good, because it meant I went to the weekend. Thank God. Right? Mm -hmm. But it also meant, like, today I was just like, blah, blah. (laughs) 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 Yes, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, Everyone should expect a good, good episodes tonight oh i think so yeah and for me too because i just spent like the last four hours prepping taxes i figured i would be doing like it would take two hours and then i'd have like two hours to to break out the comic book action but instead it was like four and i was just the new tax laws that just tripped you up or did it just take longer it just it, it well i'll be i'll be candid I'll be candid. I decided that I wanted uh, to figure out um, based on everything else, because there's certain things that, um, you know, are tax deductible uh, for the money that uh, we get for Patreon. So I sat down and added up the amount of money that I spent to try and get the most accurate picture of how much money I spent on digital comic purchases in 2018. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to ask for a figure. Yeah, uh, because because honestly, that's just rude. But I'm gonna ask this: Was it more or less than you thought? Uh that's that's a good question. That's actually a good question. I would say that it ended up being more than I thought because there's a couple of weird reasons for this, and one of them, the the one that's hilarious, is there's um there is a month a month that many digital. Uh, uh, comic book shoppers will remember fondly. I think it was March, where oh, the, the the Marvel month, where, yes, like, things were just nuts. Yes, 
Graham, yes. it's like I was looking at it and I would have these like comicsology receipts that were, you know, as long as my arm, like some, you know, 20 some odd books or uh, it wouldn't be 20 some odd books. It would it literally be something like a dozen books. And I would have spent like $10 like yeah. I was paying 84 cents for things like honest to God digital trade collections like it was. It was in, just looking at it. I was like, oh, my God. And really kind of having that thing of like, there's no reason why I should be still spending money on comics in a way because I, you know, I mean, backlog wise, like there's sort of something to be said for the comics that I'm reading, you know, that I'm getting that I'm digitally subscribed to. And that's mm -hmm. one thing. You know, but in terms of turning around and buying backlog stuff, like I'm looking at some of this stuff and I mean, it was there was stuff that I was just buying on a whim. And and I was looking at it. I'm like at 84 cents for a goddamn, you know, Marvel masterwork of, you know, Gene Colan drawing Submariner. Like, why wouldn't I? You know, like, it, well, but that's the thing. Like, I remember even talking to you at the time and you were really were pretty much being like, I don't think I even want this. But when is this cheap? How can yeah. I not buy it? Completely, completely. So uh, it's interesting looking at some of the stuff that that um, afforded me tremendous amounts of enjoyment. And of course, as we know, one of the things where the whole Amazon Marvel who knows who caused that. Exactly. Who, who was to blame? Right. No one wanted to take the credit slash blame, depending on yeah. who you were. Yeah. Exactly. Insert the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man gif here. Uh, it, it really was. Um, it, it you know some of the some of the new per they delved into the new purchases, but like some of those like I pre-ordered I pre-ordered that Master of Kung Fu epic collection for. 84 cents and part of me is still wondering if part of the reason why they haven't done a second volume is you know they only made like 90 dollars on it you know what i mean because instead of like you know several thousand because they just they marked it down so stupidly cheap have mm -hmm. no idea but anyway so that and also um the the mike continued increase in um streaming platforms like i was thinking actually looking at this i'm like you know i think i will pull the trigger and get the dc universe app so you know in part we can talk about the tv shows and i can mm -hmm. complain about the comic selection which is you know i mean that's that's something that's a dear hobby of mine anyway but like between the money that i was paying for um, Comixology Unlimited, and I, I'm actually was actually paid more for Comixology Unlimited than I paid for Marvel Unlimited mm -hmm. uh, last year. But it's like those two plus, you know, the dollar ninety nine for for Viz's uh, Shonen Jump uh, digital that just started at the end of December, plus the money that I'm still kicking forward for like Crunchyroll, which I think is going to have to end soon. I'm like. Yeah, I like there, there's a lot of streaming platforms for comics now. I'm sort of realizing and I'm I'm kind of synced up with a lot of them. There's not yeah. 
you know, especially for whatever reason. And this is something, as long as we mentioned the streaming stuff, I just want to throw this out there. When, it, when we talked about it uh, last time, about the fact that DC had come to Comixology Unlimited, I had mentioned the fact that combined with the fact that Comixology usually sends out a discount coupon to Comixology Unlimited members, like once a month, it's usually like, you know, $5 off your next $15 purchase or $10 off your 30% purchase or whatever. It was like, yeah, this really practically makes it worth it, especially if they have give you a 30% off coupon or whatever. They, it looks like they have discontinued doing that or because uh, it used to be monthly. And now that we are two months into 2018, there, there have not been any coupons from Comixology Unlimited or else maybe they were like, we're not sending them to Jeff anymore. But uh, so... So Comixology Unlimited, but thinking about it, looking at the stuff that's still available, it's still a very, very good deal, even without the, um, without the, uh, uh, the, with the money off. Yeah. yeah. With, without, even without the money off. Like, I, I don't know if you've perused it. I know you don't really have the service, so it doesn't, wouldn't really be worth your time, but there's a lot of DC product on there. A uh, lot. To- yeah. Two things. One, I find that honestly with Hoopla, mm-hmm. I'm pretty much good, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have DC Universe, and DC Universe significantly upped what is on its catalog after the Amazon thing, and the majority of it is stuff that's on Amazon. Yeah, you had mentioned you had mentioned that they had increased a lot of their stuff, and like they they literally pledged to double the amount of content that's going to be on DC Universe. Right. Right. And and the stuff that got added is essentially the Amazon Kindle stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, right. Which so I, I mean, is, I guess yeah. makes sense, right? Sure. I mean, it it does make sense. I can see them being like, well, as long as it's in this one place, let's put it in the other place. But again, part of me is like, Ugh. like when we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, do I want DC Digital? Like, why? here's the thing, Jack. You know? Honestly, I don't think you do. Yeah. Yeah, I think say that as someone who loves DC and who has DC Universe, but yeah. with everything you have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I don't think you need it. Yeah, you know, you're never gonna watch Titans. Right, you're never gonna watch Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, sign up for like a month, mm-hmm. and chances are you burn through all the TV shows you want. Right, like when whenever Doom Patrol finishes, mm-hmm. sign up like after then. You can burn through Doom Patrol in a winter. Right, because the comic stuff. The majority of stuff you're going to want to read is probably available on Amazon on Amazon or Kindle. Yeah, got it. That that I that makes sense. Part of me was kind of like, uh, but if I do it, and then you know, because I would like it if DC continued to put more stuff on there, you know. And <laughs> and, and to be honest, I think they will. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they announced that they were going to just double the amount on there mm-hmm. was sort of an uh, an acceptance that. You know, people actually do want the comics on there. Yeah, yeah, I th- I, I think that is definitely the case. Um, but so anyway, all of which is to say, yeah, I thought it was going to be um, maybe about seventy five percent, eighty percent of what it actually ended up being. So, so, so I mean, it's, you're not horrifically over. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I I'm fine and. I, I'm a little more blasé about this sort of stuff as as well. 
in a way in a way that can drive my spouse insane but i'm like well you and i've talked before about your tendency to buy things more than once yes and i just like that being okay whereas like for me i'm like no no why why would you know nah (laughs) Uh, so yeah but no it's it's you know, it's it's funny because I was looking at I am also preparing my taxes, mm-hmm. and I, I was looking at how much I've been spending, and it's pretty much how much as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting to me is where it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I found, like looking at it, and I'm going to talk about something that I don't pay for, but right. I would say I did the majority of my digital reading through Hoopla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the majority of my digital buying this year through 2008. Ah, interesting. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but no, like I, I've, I've, like I just use Hoopla religiously now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that and Marvel Unlimited. Right. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Which are and together they're a pretty great combo. Um, although I, oh have, yeah, I mean, don't really run out of things with VF both those. Yeah, definitely the case. Although I feel as if. Um, the last few times I've gone to Hoopla, it is like, it is shockingly robust for DC stuff. And I think apart from Archie and maybe a few selected image stuff, it's kind of, eh, you know what I mean? I think it's really good for, um, Dark Horse. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's good for, uh, it's very good for DC. Mm-hmm. It's good for Dark Horse. It's good for Image. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for it's good for like if you look for specific titles, you can find a lot of stuff in there. For example, ITW selection is actually trash on there. Mm-hmm. ITW does not have a good selection on there. Right. Marvel doesn't really have a good selection on there. Right. Um, Manga, like, which is as you know, is a big draw for me, is not as strongly yeah, it's, represented it's, it, there. I thought in so. general, like any international material, is isn't great there. Perhaps understandably, but, you know, for licensing. But um, I found that, uh, like, and this is really speaks to, like me being in, in weird kicks as I tend to go. Um, Dynamite has a reasonably good selection on there. Mm. Hmm. Um, you know, and and it's, uh. I would say DC has the most complete selection, curious, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because like even Dynamite, which does have a really good selection, there's a lot of like it's volume one and then there's no volume two. Right. Or, you know, it's volumes three and four and no volumes one and two. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're which doing that fair. sampler or the yeah. rolling stuff out. But yeah, yeah DC is more complete. And I mean, they really I got an announcement from Hoopla that like Mr. Miracle was on there like a yeah, week after because, it came out. Because yeah. the Hoopla the Hoopla releases for DC are bookstore release dates. Yeah. So the Tuesday after the Wednesday it gets, gets into comic stores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you wait six days until it's due in a comic store and it'll be on Hoopla. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's it's I mean and it's 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 great though. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, what did I want to ask? I feel like there was something related to that. Um, hoopla streaming. So your so, but your expenses mostly fell in the parameters that you. Uh, I mean, it, it, fall, it tended to fall in in terms of comics. It tended to fall in like the areas of stuff where you can't get it elsewhere. So like two thousand D, like I bought a, a bunch of tomorrow stuff. Right. You know, like things like that where it is 
relatively niche, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or like not mainstream in the sense of like American mainstream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what was surprising is like I didn't realize how much of that I had bought or read. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, and especially interesting to me is how much of the what I have read digitally that I did get through like a Hoopla or through Marvel Unlimited. Mm. Uh, like, you know, but also not surprising. So, for example, last weekend, I tore through everything that's on there on Marvel Unlimited of Charles Sewell's Daredevil, mm. mm-hmm. which is a bunch. It's like, you know, 30-odd issues. Yeah. And it's wonderful, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that's the way I'm using Marvel Unlimited now. Mm. You know, I, I especially post-Baxter building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when I was doing Baxter building, basically, like, I'd be punctuating everything that was Fantastic Four issue or two. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now I'm, I'm much more like, you know, oh, I forgot about this run, or I didn't read this run, or I didn't finish this run mm-hmm. in many cases. Like, I had read a lot of the Soul Daredevil before, but dropped off even before it got to issue 600. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm just going to read it from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it reads very well. I really, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing a bunch of that. But that's Marvel Unlimited. You know, I'm not buying those issues. Right. I've been reading a lot of DC digitally, but I'm doing it from the comp copies they mm-hmm. send out. They send out PDFs every Friday. Mm-hmm. Or I'm doing it from Hoopla. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's a bunch of things that I'm reading digitally, but that I'm not paying for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and so it's, it's funny to me to be like, oh, I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I, but I am spending money on some of the things that A, I don't get comped and B, you can't get through another streaming service. Right. Right. You know, when I'm, when I'm like, oh, I really want to read Ace Trucking Company, mm-hmm. I've got to buy it. Like there is, <laughs> there is no alternative. Right. Which I, part of me is, I guess it, it makes sense in the way that those companies operate, but you know, it is kind of shocking in a way that you don't have the tomorrow stuff on Hoopla, you know, if uh, if only because that stuff that's more historical, you know what I mean? Like well, it's also stuff that honestly you think would actually find a wider readership. Right. If it was available more readily, mm-hmm. like, you know, especially the tomorrow's books mm-hmm. are simultaneously very niche but also the sort of thing that would benefit from being on a mainstream service and being promoted on a mainstream service Mm -hmm. because sure the num like you know not everyone's going to want to read the history of teen titans Mm -hmm. with interviews from other creative teams Mm -hmm. but people know about the teen titans and there's going to be people who don't know that there is a book about the history of teen titans to go looking for it exactly who will be interested to find that Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm you know, mm-hmm. but but that's I'm not running tomorrow's. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. So it's like people they 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 work with what they have. So or they make the decisions that they make. So you know, it's uh, it, it and God only knows what kind of how the ecosystem works to get into Hoopla and how it's listed and what the payments are like. You know, exactly. And, and like you know, it is. Because, I mean, you must have looked through, like, the Hoopla, um, just the Hoopla catalog in general. Mm-hmm. There are some, like, incredibly 
uh, small publishers in there. Yes. Or your publishers. Mm-hmm. But maybe someone like Tomorrow's looks at it and goes, this just isn't worth it. Right. It's, this is not worth the hassle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or that idea of like, yeah, it's not worth the hassle for the amount of money that we get from our – um, you know, from the revenue stream that we have of people purchasing this stuff, people actually buying it and, you know, our outreach doesn't work as well. And it's funny because Hoopla, to the extent that I've poked around, like Hoopla's comic section looks incredibly robust. It looks like there's their video stuff is it is kind of shit. Is. Yeah. Everything else kinda seems shitty. kind of shit, you know. I, going into the ebook section, it's kind of like, yeah, this is this is not. Um, no, honestly, Hoopla is Hoopla is pretty much good for comics, and that's it. The music section is all right. Oh, interesting. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, but so, yeah. but no, for the most part, like you you get on there for the comics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, and you know, if you're here in. North America or the United States, it's Hoopla is free. It's if you're if oh, yeah, your it's, library it's like, service is no, tied to it. We've talked about this before, but if you're in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, uh, if Hoopla is available, you should just be taking advantage of it. Yeah, it, it's just a very very good service, especially if you're wanting to stay relatively current with with mainstream comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it it really is. It like we, like we were saying. DC collections show up days after they're released in comic stores, mm-hmm. and they're available to borrow for free digitally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's—I mean—that's a big deal. I, I, and I don't know if this is—if this is just sort of a oh, we're testing the waters, or it's a promotional thing. But Brubaker and Phillips, their current series of Criminal, uh, they've been uploading. The individual, individual issues. issues, yeah. The first yeah, two issues it's are weird. Like a lot, not so much image, but a lot of other publishers do that. Mm. Like the majority of IDW stuff is individual issues, right? Uh, and I want to say a lot of the Dynamite stuff is individual issues as well, which honestly is annoying. Yeah, <laughs> like not read the complete collection. I mean, again, if you really want to keep on top of this stuff as it comes out, mm-hmm. great. Well, but or I even don't. as sort of a sampler, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it does make sense in a way to sort of turn around and reverse the model. And it's like it seems almost cheaper to give away, you know, the current issues of the particular book and then re- sort of remove each one from the service. And and so you only get a certain number of people who are popping up for two ninety nine rather than turning around and checking out your $13, $16 trade paperback and never coming back for more. You mm-hmm. know? So I, but you know, yeah. but again, uh, lucky listeners were like, yes, taxes. Let us now talk about, you know, finances, the most important part of anyone's comic uh, experience. Although, hey, we were talking about, we're talking about our reading habits, Jeff. That's true. Uh, did you see the thing? I have to say this is kind of a bummer. I was not tuned into this, but uh, so I, I assume that you saw it the first time around. The first time around that the uh, the new Hellboy movie's first trailer. Yes. Uh, I guess John Arcudi had sent a tweet out being like, 
please, people, don't include me in your Hellboy-related tweets. I really don't want to talk about it. I've got an article that I want to write oh, about no. the whole situation. Oh, you didn't, I didn't see this? I did see that. Okay, so this is something someone on my timeline retweeted. And again, this was about 73 days ago, 75 days ago. And then when the new trailer dropped, someone retweeted it. Uh, and I dipped into the timeline. And... Uh, as you know, Daniel Day Kim plays a character. I am pretty Hellboy oblivious, you know, like a few Magnolia stuff. But as you know, uh, there was a very solid team of John, John Arcudi, Guy Davis, uh, someone, uh, Dave Stewart, who did the BPRD books for mm -hmm. a huge chunk of time. And... Uh, so a lot of people, so Daniel Day Kim plays a character that was created more or less wholesale by John Arcudi and Daniel Day, uh, and uh, Guy Davis. And so, like I said, he was like, don't, please don't include me in the tweets. It's actually just kind of painful. And so people did some follow up and were like, what's going on? Did you get burned? He's like, I, he's like, he basically went from, I'm going to write an article explaining it to like, I'm not going to write an article because nobody cares. Like the fans care about the characters. They don't care about the creators. Wow. Yeah. And, and Arcudi goes on to say, like I did, you know, from the gist of it, he's like, I'm not pointing any fingers at dark horse before anyone starts getting on their high horse about work for hire. They, they treat it as fine, but, and then more or less leaves it hanging there. And I didn't realize that um, based on some follow-up questions that, However, they got treated um, is apparently part of the reason like Guy Davis more or less left comics entirely. And Arcudi's like, yeah, he will he'll never come back to comics. You know, um, Davis, of course, in the last few years has moved into doing um, a lot of pre-production work and design work for movies and, and video games and some other stuff. I didn't realize that he just flat out more or less left and Arcudi himself is like yeah it's it's a bad situation people are um you know essentially people are going to exploit the creators because they can continue to exploit the creators because ultimately in this industry nobody cares about the creators they only care about the characters so Wow. Very sobering. Are you looking it up or are you checking? I'm, no, I'm, I am. I'm looking it up right now. And it's, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's uh, funny is not the right word. I was talking to someone in the industry, as they say, um, this week who, who got in contact. I was like, have you seen the Hellboy trailer? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, what do you think? And I was like, it, it looks like I'm, to be honest, I think the Hellboy trailer looks kind of fun. What's really funny is I think I'm the only person in the world who thinks it looks fun. Um, and and they were like, I've seen the film. Hmm. And they essentially were like, you know, I, they didn't say this and they never would say this. Mm -hmm. But reading between the lines, it felt like they were saying the movie's better than the trailer. Oh, the movie's better than the trailer. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and this, this was said by someone who liked the trailer, but was essentially like, you know, I was very nervous before the movie and I saw the movie and honestly, I was relieved. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I have 
no faith in that movie whatsoever. Like, of course, it'd be one thing what, I'm I mean, sure if I knew who it was. What, what does having faith in the movie mean? Uh, I'm not a, like, I've read Hellboy. I've read BPRD. And honestly, I preferred BPRD to Hellboy. Right. Um, but I have no expectation of it, if that makes sense. Like, it's obviously not going to be a Magnolia mm-hmm. visual, which is really all I care about Hellboy for. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so part of me is like, you know, is it going to be fun and kind of stupid? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I really want. Well, you know, this is, this is ironic, Graham. I, I don't, I don't know if you recall, but there was, there was an evening many, 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 many years ago in San Francisco where you hosted a, a small dinner party of which I was one of a handful of guests. The rest of them will go unnamed uh, because one of the guests and I um, had a very polite, thank goodness, debate about the movie Doomsday, uh, which I thought was a pile of garbage. And the other person was like, no, it's great. It knows it's garbage. And then therefore... And, you know, I literally do not remember this at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you when we're done who this person was. Because um, uh, I think I know. Yes. But I would ask you. Yeah. 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 It'd be great. You should write down your guess on a slip of paper. Anyway, so that movie, Doomsday, uh, was directed by Neil Marshall, who is the guy directing the new uh, Hellboy movie. And. Um, I've had a significant case of diminishing returns with Marshall's stuff. I actually, Dog Soldiers, I actually really loved. A lot of people, of course, adored The Descent. I thought it was eh, okay. But Doomsday for me was the was a huge red flag. And he's done some competent work. I mean, he's done some of the more technically impressive episodes of, of Game of Thrones, which means nothing to you. Uh, but... I just, after Doomsday in particular, I was like, it's weird. Like, it's it shouldn't be one of those situations where it's like one movie out of three. And and he's made like another three or four on top of those that I haven't seen. Should be the one where I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I have I have no I have no faith in this guy. And and it's weird. I think it's because. Uh, what was it? So have, having no faith literally just means I don't think it will be fun. I no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it will be good. I don't think it will be satisfying for me. Like there's a certain. Uh, uh, okay, I'm not a Hellboy fan, so part of me is like, well, sure, Jeff. So you know, who cares? Like, and it's true. I, my opinion. Someone could be like, no, big dumb spectacle is what. Marshall does and and with a eye for the gory and fun and that syncs up perfectly with the Hellboy dynamic and that's probably all entirely true but I just feel like he kind of drops the ball on character in a way that I think is could be fatal for a movie like that that looks like it is trying to be uh, a you know, I don't know, a quote unquote movie with like some character stakes slash history in it. So again, yeah. could be wrong. Doesn't really matter. I'm sure when I see it on HBO Go two years from now, I'll be like, eh, that wasn't so bad. 
you know, and then I'll have to stab whatever mutant, you know, who's trying to attack me to eat my liver in the, you know, atomic hell husk that is our city. You know, it's life will go on. That's what I'm saying. What's funny to me is I was at the uh, New York Comic Con panel for Hellboy. Mm. And they didn't have, I want to say Marshall wasn't there, but they had Mignola and they had the cast. Mm-hmm. And everyone was talking about, like, you know, this is our approach to the film. And this was before they the debuted the first trailer, mm-hmm. right? And you just had a room full of people going repeatedly, like, we're taking this really seriously. It's the most true to Mignola's vision that we've ever seen. You know, and Mignola's there being like, yeah, I've been, you know, really involved in it. And, you know, it, it's really like, you know, I'm really happy with it. That, you know, this this is taking Hellboy seriously, blah, blah, blah. And then, I don't know if you remember the first trailer. The first trailer I is do. like... Billy Idol's camp. Money Money. Right? Money Money. And it's like, like totally camp. camp. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this broad comedy thing. Yeah. And there was such a disconnect between what they had said mm-hmm. and the trailer. Yeah. And afterwards, they're like, whoa, right? And you could feel the room be like, is that really the trailer? Because this film you've been talking about is a totally different thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel that this new trailer was closer to what they're talking about, but still, like, shockingly broad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why your having reservations makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's just such a disconnect between the film that they think they're making and the film that's being done in trailers. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Everyone knows trailers mean nothing, right? right. Absolutely. Trailers could be 100% off from what the finished film is. But it is something that just makes you nervous mm-hmm. when you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this like dark, sober take on Hellboy that they're talking about. Like it's more of a horror film. And then it's like, you know, here's Ian McShane being Ian McShane. Right. And here's fucking Billy Idol. And there's, you know, David Harbour wisecracking and being like, haha, you guys, fuck. That's right. It's R rated. I can say fuck. Yeah. Here's Mila Jovovich. And, you know, and you're just like, yeah, that's, you know, Vince Vaughn is two seconds away from showing up in this trailer. <laughs> oh, man, that hurts. I got to say, there is that moment. I'm like, you're right. Ten years ago, that would have they would have had Owen Wilson in there as like the one of the new BPRD guys who's like, you know, always trying to like talk to Hellboy about his, you know, trying to find his mantra or something. So, yeah, probably exactly right. Well. Yeah. But it's the, like the trailers make it look like this broad comedy. Yeah. Oh, and, and, it does, you know, yeah. This new trailer, slightly less so, because like they're actually like, oh, no, there's a threat. But but the first trailer especially is just like it's it's the wacky like, hey, he's big and he's red. Yeah. He's a Hellboy. Yeah. And he's going to take you all to Hellboy. <laughs> and, you know, and it, there's just like <laughs> – what am, what am I watching? Oh no! Especially after an hour of these people being like, right. you know, it's really a more of a horror take. Yeah. <laughs> this trailer, the room I was in was filled with thousands of people, and it was like the most polite ripple of applause you right. can imagine, because <laughs> people were just like, "What did I just watch?" <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, again, I, you know. The fact that we pivoted so quickly from, yeah, John Arcuri, incredibly unhappy as a result of this. Well, and, no, yeah. You know, I, there is a little bit of I, like... Let's get back to Arcuri. I actually, honestly, had thought uh, that Arcuri had also left, not comics, but had left the Hellboy um, franchise. Mm-hmm. Did he did, did disappear like Chris Robinson took over or someone? Uh, right, right. Yeah, Chris, Chris did. Yeah, I think that's right. Um 
so yeah, no, I I got the sense, yes, exactly. He was unhappy. He just didn't leave comics, but he left that. And again, part of me is sort of the thing that's weird is I I know exactly what he's saying, and I really feel for him. I'm also just sort of not personally invested in it. You know that I, I'm not grappling with it quite the way that. Um, I was with Graham. I have to tell you this, this pivot subjects lightly or on a related topic. Uh, I felt guilty just going to Wikipedia to read the doomsday clock summaries. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's, that's kind of the level that I'm at of like, if I'm at some sort of level of personal investment, you know, it's just like, I read, I read next week's doomsday clock. Oh, really? Because uh, it's in the comps. And I am much more interested in slash invested in that comic than you are. Like, infinitely more. Yes. Well, um, I, I know that this book has been delayed. Mm-hmm. I still thought that I'd missed an issue. Mm. Because there is such a narrative jump. Mm. Like, it's shocking. Mm. And part of me wonders if Jeff Johns went, oh, shit, I've only got three issues of this book left. Yeah. yeah. Because... It's such a narrative jump. Hmm. It, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, uh, and by amazing I mean like uh, the scale of where you left things mm-hmm. and where things pick up mm-hmm. is shocking. Hmm. Uh, I and and it really does feel like there's an issue missing in between. Wow. Well, you know, it's it, it's uh, what what issue is it? Is it issue nine? Is that I want to say it's issue nine is I, coming. I think yeah. that sounds right. So it's issue. Yep, it's issue nine. Nine out of what's going to be like twelve, 12. or thirteen. Okay, twelve. Yeah, it, I, I'm not reading it, and it is safe to say that if there is a place to go to really capture the vivid dramatic essence of a tale like the wikipedia plot summary is probably not it but it, does... well, it depends like i know from experience wikipedia movie plot summaries basically give you every single piece of information well yeah but i mean that's kind of but it's all how do i put it it's all sort of weighted you know what i mean like oh sure yeah yeah exactly like it's, it's literally every single piece of information exactly. you're like i hope this felt differently Hang on, exactly. I'm actually looking up in a I'm, I'm looking it up. Yeah, the, these are these are our, um Yeah, it's literally, it's literally giving you the information and none nothing else. Right, and so it just it just provides sort of all this stuff, and I'm like, again, part of me is like, wow, this feels like just a lot of nothing. Like it, and I'm and I'm sure there's more to it than that, but I'm just like, it it seems like it's a lot of characters just like meeting and talking like lots of like dramatic conversations between oh it's luther and ozymandias and oh it's the joker and rorschach I oh think, no there's you know? there is there is a certain element of that mm-hmm. there is also and a your mileage may vary b i'm sure people are going to just utterly disagree with me um there's a feeling that Johns and Frank are trying to do something else and are trying to 
I don't want to say like grasp towards a point because that makes it sound like it's more inept than it is. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that they're heading somewhere. Whether or not they get there, I've got to be honest. I'm more doubtful of after reading issue nine. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, I can't go into it without spoiling it, which I normally wouldn't care about doing for you. But in that the comic isn't going to be out when this episode uh, comes absolutely. out. Absolutely, it's completely I, unfair I, to I, the yeah, listeners. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. really fair. Yeah, but there are choices made in issue nine mm-hmm. that uh, one of the things that I feel a lot of people like a place a lot of people went to when the series was announced was an expectation of what the series would be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would say that the series up until issue nine is not that book. Mm-hmm. And it's not that book to its credit mm. that it's trying to do things that are more interesting. It's trying to do things that are more complicated and it's trying to do things that are. And again, I know you disagree, but more in keeping with the original Watchmen mm-hmm. than, than anything else. And then I would say issue nine does not. Mm-hmm. Um, issue nine is very close to the books that everyone was joking about it being. Mm-hmm. And is does go broader. And I know why it's going broader. I understand the narrative purpose of doing so. Mm-hmm. But the leap it makes in getting there from what's gone before... Mm-hmm. Um, feels uh, not only unearned but fake. Mm. Like, like I said, it really does feel like Jeff Jones has gone shit. Right. Like I, I'm really near the end of this book, mm-hmm. and I haven't done these things, and I'm supposed to do these things. Right. Right. Uh, fuck. Okay. Okay. I just like I'm just gonna go with this. This, this is just what I'm. Okay. This needs to happen. Okay. This is happening. Mm-hmm. Um. It's also funny that the I'm we talked for about how I feel about Watchmen, but what something a Watchmen doesn't do mm-hmm. is basically lose characters, right? You know where every character, every all of the protagonists are at any given point in in each issue. Yes, right. right. It's Maureen Gibbons check in on them, mm-hmm. or it's reference them, or there is some reference. Right. You, you don't. There's no point where you're like, I wonder what ever happened to blah blah blah. Right. Or, or even more to the point, like when Doctor Manhattan disappears, for example. It's, oh, it's a point. Right. It's reinforced that nobody knows where he is. So even yes. more so. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a cameo in issue nine of Doomsday Clock that made me realize that one of the central characters of the series has essentially been missing for three issues. Oof. Wow. Um, and the cameo might be John signifying like, oh no, that's intentional. Mm-hmm. But it reads more like, oh, that's right, we should really include blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for the first half of the series, they were the protagonist of the book. Wow. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the problems with issue nine, and again, I'm not spoiling it, is the first half of the series is definitely had had a fairly clear narrative thrust. Mm-hmm. There was an objective. Uh, there Really, it was, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, refugees from the Watchmen universe trying to find Dr. Manhattan in the DC universe. Right. Issue 9 features 
one of the those four characters Mm. in a cameo and that is it Mm. really oof so the characters who were driving the plot yeah. for the first half of the series right. are essentially absent from the entire issue. Oof. And it's trying to address the central mystery of the series, i.e. where's Dr. Manhattan been, in a roundabout way that simultaneously does not actually do that mm-hmm. and leans far too much on Watchmen in a way that the series has avoided before that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, with without necessarily, uh, maybe maybe this will help both appease my curiosity and sort of um, keep you out of having to tiptoe through the minefield. But what would you say is the thematic point of the that when you say that that you feel that Johns and Frank are actually trying to go first, say something important uh using using these characters and the idea of the watchman characters in the dc universe what what is that point do you do you feel or do you feel like you can talk about it or what the intimacy i feel i feel that there is uh i mean it's very jonesian Mm -hmm. i feel that they are trying to make a point about the needs to, for want of a better way of putting it, not take these characters or the superhero genre too literally. Mm-hmm. But that, more importantly, there is value in these characters as ideas and as abstract ideas and as concepts. And that if you, that you can very easily unpack, unpack, unpick all these concepts and you can think through them and note the mistakes and note the errors and undo them. And in undoing them, you lose a lot more than just unpicking an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to say the Legion of Superheroes are is dumb because why is there a, a club of kids with superpowers in the future? Mm-hmm. Why do they idolize superheroes? Mm-hmm. But there's also a, like, to get there and to approach it from that, you're losing a sense of whimsy, a sense of wonder, a sense of, uh, embracing the strange and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you have, again, these refugees from a world where everything is, um, it's not just that it's darker, but it's that it is purposely darker and more grounded. Mm-hmm. Come to this new world where their reaction is simultaneous uh, confusion, but also not dismissal. But uh, why does this work like this? this? This is like, what is this? This this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And and not embracing it i guess mm-hmm. and again there's things that happen in issue nine that i don't want to talk about but address that idea much more clearly and address the idea of deconstruction much more clearly mm-hmm. um and the idea of like the ripple effects of the deconstruction mm-hmm. that deconstructing an idea is not only deconstructing an idea mm-hmm. that to what morrison said in multiversity you can take things apart but you can't put them together again easily after that mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Yeah, that's actually um, what I was wondering if it was going to be a similar point or there was some. Yes, other it point is. To it. it is. Um, but there's also a lot of subtext in Doomsday Clock about the power of narrative and the power of stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And because what you find is, and this ties into a lot of like the rebirth stuff, like the Justice Society are gone. Mm-hmm. But they exist as. But they still exist, and the, the 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 them being gone is the story that we tell ourselves, or, or the people are telling themselves, mm-hmm. and that those who don't subscribe to that, those who still believe in the wonder, quote unquote, are seen as being uh, stupid, for one of a better way of putting it. Like mm-hmm. you know, they have characters who are in, who are in insane asylums. Mm-hmm. Um, there is. I, I, again, I'm getting really close to things that are happening in issue nine, so I don't want to say it. Yeah. It's important that the characters who believe the DC, who believe, remember, whatever, the DC universe has was, and purposefully, like, the more ridiculous elements, like the Justice Society, like the Legion of Superheroes, are incarcerated for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Because they are dismissed. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't fit into this more grounded reality. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's almost as if it's scoping back ideas of like how grounded superheroes can be, mm-hmm. you know. So Watchmen is the most grounded mm-hmm. in the series. The current DC universe is like a midpoint, mm-hmm. and the DC universe that, let's be honest, Johns believes in, mm-hmm. and Johns right is back from there. Mm-hmm. And the, you know the elements of 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 how. The certain concepts, certain ideas are dismissed and and treated, and the people who believe in them are, are dismissed and treated. Mm-hmm. Is all in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated as well by Nathaniel Dark, the the like 1980s noir series by Don McGregor and Gene Colan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is like referenced throughout the entire fucking series. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes the narrative space of the pirate comic mm-hmm. in in Watchmen, right? But now it is old nineteen forties films mm-hmm. that, that 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 will recur through through the thing. And and in the back matter, there is the suggestion that there is a mystery surrounding the creation of those movies and also why they stopped. Mm-hmm that is in some way connected to the central mystery of of Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. And and by issue nine, like the central mystery is answered in an admittedly oblique fashion that I think people might miss. But also in such a way that is too obvious. Mm-hmm. If there's such a thing as like lampshading something that you also don't state then <laughs> Doomsday Clock Nine does it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, like it's it's literally a, a it's one of these things that lampshades everything that has never been stated as facts, but ev- facts, but everyone has always suspected. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's a, such a strange mix. It's such a weird book, Jeff. It's such a weird book. But like it, like I said, issue nine is the issue where I was like, this might be going horrifically off the rails. Right. Right. Huh. But but not up until that point. Like to, for better or for worse, you pretty much. No, I think it. I I think up through issue, honestly, up through issue seven, mm-hmm. 
I, I was, I really was like, no, I, I like the series. I think the series is really good. I think the series is doing really interesting things. And I think it might fail, but I think it is ambitious and I think their attempts have been valiant. Issue eight is the issue where things start to go off the rails for a couple of reasons. One, uh, how do I say this without sounding more dismissive than I mean? The use of Vladimir Putin and the use of Russia in particular and what it means in this series mm-hmm. is naive at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then issue nine comes along and there's such a narrative jump and like I said, it basically, basically defaults to what people were expecting in the, of this comic. Mm-hmm. That, that one-two punch makes me go, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh no, and and I'm going to like I read issue nine yesterday as we're recording, mm-hmm. and I want to read the whole thing up to issue nine and as the one, mm-hmm. and see how it feels. If like if it works better like that, mm-hmm. but like, Watchmen was essentially a a, a, uh, a relatively traditional narrative, right? It did things. It it's there were flashbacks, there were asides. Mm-hmm. But there's no real like time jump in there, or right. rather, time jumps that are there are sort of like time jumps for the characters inside the story themselves. Right. Right, right, right. You know, it's not like you know they suddenly cut to one year later and blah blah blah. Right. The closest that you come is is literally the last scene in the book where things jump ahead like six months. Or yeah, whatever. which which is intentional because yes. it's the epilogue. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And what happens in issue nine of Doomsday Clock is not a time jump, mm-hmm. but in order for the characters who start the issue to be where they are, mm-hmm. some of that should have been joined in at least issue eight, mm-hmm. if not earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's really drastic. Wow. <laughs> like it's really drastic. And again, I don't want to say what it is. I'll tell you when we're off mic, but you'll understand why, why I'm like, like it's, it's a very dramatic start, but it's very dramatic in such a way where you're like, there should have been groundwork laid for this before. Right. Right. Because I, it's just such a narrative jump. Can, can, can I make, can I make a, a weird, odd related pivot? Yeah. Um, yes. did you get a chance to check out uh, either either before or recently, uh, the first five issues of Exorcisters by Ian Boothby and Giselle Lagasse that have come out from I have Image. not, but you have talked about it many times. And someone, maybe Ian Boothby, someone connected the book center to it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Boothby, it was, it was Ian, right? Yeah, he he was kind of like, yeah. hey guys, that you know. Uh, thought you'd want to yeah, check no, it's, it's, out. It's, it's one of the many things that are on my to-do list, but no, I haven't read it. But it, given the people involved, I, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm actually very nervous that you're going to say it's not good. Uh, it's, you know, I, I this is the thing that's rough for me because I love those creators and absolutely 110% want to support them. Uh, and, and Exorcisters has weird like i spend uh part of well i read i think the first two issues more or less state and then was it the first two maybe it was just the first one and then kind of let the issues piled up 
which may not be um, the best thing in a way to sort of uh, definitely not the best way to support creators who through image are more or less self-publishing and hoping to make their money back on trades and the singles and very desperately need word of mouth in order to move copies. But my word of mouth was going to be much more mealy mouth than I wanted after the first issue. And then, you know, after Ian was like, hey, you guys should check this out. I'm like, ah, I should really check this out and see. And all of which is to say that it is not bad. Like, you know, uh, Boothby is a guy who I think writes really good jokes and has a very... Um, clever way with sort of uh, almost surreptitious world building. And I think Giselle is just, I, I love her illustration style, but there, there is something that's just weirdly not quite there with Exorcisters for me that I just like, I basically read it and then read, read it through again today in a, in a wonder as Grime would say. And I found myself feeling very um, like at a loss to kind of nail down what wasn't working for me. I mean, I think there is a kind of, if, it, I, the thing that really kind of amazed me and it's part of what you were, the, the, the thing that you were talking about just kind of pinged a certain resonance with me uh it it was kind of this weird um every every issue is self-contained and perhaps in a good way even even though essentially what happens is each each issue is structured to be a done in one that reveals more of the central conceit and the backstory of the exorcisters who are these uh two women Kate and Kate, who uh, appear to be twin sisters who are uh, demon fighters and sort of delving into their backstory and introducing the larger threat while also having sort of a little done in one challenge, at least for the first two or three issues. And what is odd about it was kind of a there's just there, there's just something that that is uh, like. I think if you if you read the first issue of a comic for whatever reason and it feels as if you could be reading issue 275 of the comic, that should be, in theory, like a good thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I'm kind of like that there's some little crucial thing that's missing for me that I can't quite put my finger on it and it's kind of like is it like they're moving into the backstory is it that there wasn't a backstory before like there's just a there's just this weird like you pick up the comic if every issue because in part because it starts off in media res you almost always yeah. find them in a moment of adventure especially as each issue progresses i i just find myself being like but uh, I don't know. So it's bit, it's kind of complicated for me, this weird feeling of like, you know, something's missing and you can't put your finger on it. Like, it, mm -hmm. it, as everyone knows from listening to me ramble on and on and on, 
I'm the sort of guy that will spend 15 hours until I come up with some sort of theory, no matter how crazy, for why something was or wasn't working for me. And this is definitely a book I want to I want to work. And just in terms of, you know, of it being uh, funny and done by people with talent, it's like I'm like, it should be enough. But for whatever reason, it's just not quite there for me. And I don't know why that is. I actually find, and maybe this is just me, mm-hmm. books that are, you know, two-thirds there and yet don't work and you can't put your finger on mm-hmm. can be astonishingly frustrating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there is a sense of guilt almost that you don't like it more. Right. And when you can't work out what's not working. Mm-hmm. Also a sense of frustration, like, at the book. Yeah. I've just been like, just fucking do it, whatever this right, last third right. is. Whatever the thing is that there is. I've got – I do have a couple of oblique theories, but I think that it would suit me better uh, and perhaps hopefully help out Ian and Giselle. If you check it out and read it, and then and then we can talk about it a little bit more, and I can at least – bat some of those theories around because as it is it'll just sort of sound like i'm hollering into the void but uh but it is odd like i said there was just something in what you were saying that really uh twigged for me like it is amazing how much like just having a story where it's like knowing what the characters want or what the goal is for the first part of a story is important and then if that story changes and moves or grows into something else, that's fine too. But you need some signifiers along the way, or you, you, there's got to be moments where you realize, oh, this is, this is turning. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I've been spending some time thinking about this, uh, in part because, um, I'm not going to go, fortunately or unfortunately, despite the number of people that that were very generally uh, supportive of Krabby Jeff in our previous Wait What episode. And and I want to thank them for that support, even though I don't think that Graham could stand a sustained diet of that. Uh, uh, For me, the latest issue of Action Comics, uh, issue 1008 by Bendis and uh, Epting, that is issue two of Leviathan Rises. Um, I found myself reading it and being like incredibly weirdly agitated by the issue um, and how little does or doesn't happen and how much does or doesn't move forward. And I sort of started wondering how much of, as, as I think you and I have talked about, the strong editorial presence of manga slash a lot of genre conventions that are built around, um, you know, uh, giving the story, uh, the underpinning story, a lot of structure um, mm-hmm. makes it so that if nothing else, you're not going to have certain levels of frustration. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, if, if the story is about from getting from point A to point B, you're going to get from point A to point B. Or if not, someone's very clearly going to say, well, we should be going to blank, but now we have to go to blank because of blop, blop, blop. Like, 
And that's not exactly, you know, Andrei Tarkovsky level styles of oblique storytelling. You know, there's it's it may not be satisfying in, in a general higher art kind of way. But when you're reading something that's, you know, like I read, sat down ha having stockpiled a ridiculous number of uh, volumes of Golden Kamai, uh, the the amazing um, series being uh, published by Viz currently, uh, you know, I, I sat down and I'm like, okay, this is, this is like, you know, uh, do, you know, fortune hunters fighting one another in, uh, you know, the, uh, turn of the century, I knew area of Japan and, you know, it's lost gold and various levels of rogues and villains and heroes it's incredibly entertaining, but yeah, it's also not going to be like, oh, there's, you know, Watchmen layers of, you know, there's no formalist onion to, to un, unpeel and admire. It's just, it does what it says on the tin and it's goddamn great. And so maybe that's part of why it's like, I pick up something like action comics or, or a Batman issue 65 or whatever. And I'm like, but but why, you know, so I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. And don't get me wrong. I've read some crap manga, some of which I appreciated and some of which I didn't. And I will gladly throw myself open for humiliation and talk about that later as well. So uh, I'm not going to humiliate you at all. I am going to say that I am uh, very behind on action comics mm -hmm. and I have I filled up the tablet with with a bunch of things to try and catch up on an action is on there but i just didn't get to it mm -hmm. um i did get catch up with the last and it turns out i was very behind on tom king's batman mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. going all the way back to Nick, dick grayson getting shot wow. which was september mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a long um, time back no it really is especially because mm -hmm. it's a twice monthly book yeah 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 um so I caught up on all of them, but no action. I'm I'm still I can't comment on yet because I'm still actually like a few months behind it. Uh, but well, let me ask you. Uh, hopefully, you're moving in this direction. But as you know, the um, there's been a there's been some weird pacing choices in the recent issues of King's Batman that yes. I'm sure you're aware of. Yes. And I was wondering. How sort of what you thought of that? I can see where maybe reading it in a one or it's more of a like, it's, oh, this is fine, or if the yes, flaws stand that's out just more. It. Mm -hmm. No, it works out much better when you read them on mass. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the nightmares arc. Mm -hmm. I say arc. Like I think it's going to end up being an arc. And yeah. again, I read Netsweek's Batman as well. Right. Which which twists it slightly. Um. The Nightmares arc seems to have a purpose, mm -hmm. but also being done the way it's being done, especially by taking a month break to do the Flash crossover, mm -hmm. um, is is a really strange choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of – I would say that – King's Batman felt like it was a book that had a maybe not a singular purpose, but a purpose. 
and a mm-hmm. unified purpose up through issue 50. Right? It felt like everything in the book was moving towards a particular point. Mm-hmm. Having now read like everything from like issue 54 on and like issue 51 through 53 is the uh, Bruce Wayne is in uh, jury duty. Yes. Arc, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that from 50 on and 66 is what's coming in next, next week. Mm-hmm. This book has been all over the fucking place. Yeah. And there's an argument to be made. That this is intentional. Mm hmm. It was reflecting the fact that uh, Batman's all over the place mm-hmm. after that woman uh, jailed some of the altar. Right. Right? However, I think there's a way to do that without making the comic seem so all over the place. Mm-hmm. And the comic has felt really all over the place. Right. As someone who has enjoyed, I would say every single one of these issues with the exception of the Bruce Wayne solving his parents' murder. No, it's not really Bruce Wayne. It's this other kid's issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the series as a whole is is a, a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like nightmares, I understand what it's doing. Very much understand what it's doing, especially after sixty six. Mm-hmm. Like 65, uh, not 65, 63, I guess, because then there's two crossover issues. Right. Um, the issue with Constantine mm-hmm. makes it clear what is happening in like the Uber narrative. Yes. Right? Yep. 66 really underscores that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically goes to the subtext of it and the subtext of where the series has been since issue 50. Mm-hmm. Right? And subtext of where Batman has been since issue 50 mm-hmm. emotionally. But nonetheless, this book has, it feels like, had a different artist every two issues, had a different tone of story every two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, increasingly so, like, Nightmares is purposefully, like, a different tone and a different artist every issue. Right. Um, but, like, you know, even the, the three-parter with Penguin. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Yannin draws two issues and then someone else draws the fifth, the third issue mm-hmm. for no reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really does just feel like this, this oddly off kilter book. Mm-hmm. And maybe it will work when we're out, out the other side of it. Mm-hmm. But right now it feels like a book where there is a vision mm-hmm. and there is a purpose. But it's being produced by people who are literally on the edge of deadline every single issue. Right. I'm just trying to get something out of the door. Mm-hmm. And everything needs to pass. And again, I'm saying this is someone who likes the issues individually and likes the storylines individually. But the series as a whole just feels all over the place right now. Yeah. I, some, I sometimes wonder in you talking about it, I sometimes wonder if like King through the Bruce Wayne – as a juror story at us a little too early, maybe in things, you know what I mean? Cause that has a certain, um, the tone of it is kind of, you know, Batman's kind of going over the edge and Bruce Wayne is there to argue and say like, Hey, listen, we can't necessarily trust Batman. I know you think that you need to, but maybe he's just a kind of a, an individual and individuals can be fucked up and you know, he's not a God or whatever the whole, his big closing speech was. 
there's something about that happening where at least emotionally the beat is kind of like Bruce is aware that he as Batman is not necessarily um, in control of things, but somehow that acknowledgement and that recognition makes you feel like, oh, okay, this is, I don't know, resolved in comic book terms. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. it's it's simultaneously too early for Bruce to be aware of how out of control he is. Yeah, and, and how flawed he is, and and personally, like not address it because he goes from that to like the the. The two Dick Grayson issues were basically Dick Grayson's like you're not okay, and he's like I'm fine, right? Which makes no sense coming after the uh, the, the exactly. juror issues. Exactly, exactly. And also, the juror issues have to happen when they happen because it sets up a lot of plot that mm-hmm. goes that plays out over the next few issues. Well, yeah, and there's I've, nowhere right. else for the plot to go. Like mm-hmm. basically, all of it has been structured wrong. Yes, exactly. There's a structural flaw that seems to be right there. Where it's like, in order for him to have the realization, you know, there's the plot stuff that seems to have to come out in the trial. But what, where Bruce is and where he goes. and Yeah, the character the character work doesn't make sense. Because yeah. it literally goes from Bruce going, Batman is flawed, Batman is imperfect, you cannot rely on Batman. Right. To the next issue, his arguably closest friend outside of Alfred mm-hmm. saying, you don't seem okay. Do you need help? And him being like, no, I'm fine. Right. Right. And uh, then, I, and I, then I, on then, top of that, when he then gets shot and then yeah. he, he then goes on to lose it and continues to lose it in ways that, especially where things are happening in such a, like someone is moving against you kind of way, I suppose that doesn't really. It, it, yeah. There's, there's, there's like a, well, a real I'm, structure. I'm flaw, wondering, I think. and I, I think I've said this before here. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if King is essentially playing the same twist that he played in the first half of the, uh, the first 50 issues again in the second but on a grander scale mm-hmm. which is you remember the i am suicide arc which is essentially batman fucks up only joking he's had he's worked it all out in advance right and like it's a double twist i'm wondering if he's doing the same thing yeah because the only other read is that king has lost control of the narrative and keeps resetting batman to broken after having the moment where he's like no i'm broken mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And, and like that just keeps happening, and which again maybe a point because nightmares as as an arc is a series of stories where basically Batman realizes that he's fucked up mm-hmm. and then is reset in mm-hmm. the next issue. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, not to be not to put too much of a spoiler on, on what happens in sixty six, but. In 62, whatever the Mitch Garad's issue is, mm-hmm. uh, it basically ends with, like, he, he thinks through the whole thing. He's like, wait, no, my dad was here. Why am I here now? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And he gets to the end and pig unmasks and it's Damien. And he's like, okay, something's, like, something's not right. Mm-hmm. Then the next issue, you have Constantine basically being like, I'm a hallucination. This is what's actually happening. You're in trouble. Yeah. Then in 66, you go below that, mm. which is 
why is Bruce Wayne in trouble? Mm. Hmm. Bruce Wayne isn't in trouble because of his dad. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Bruce Wayne is in trouble because of something else. Hmm. And it then goes to that. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if, if the resetting is a point. Mm-hmm. But if it is a point, again, I feel there's a better way to do it because right, right now it reads like a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, even if even if he don't, then does go, ha-ha, it was all a trick, mm-hmm. it doesn't undo the fact that this book is reading very choppily when mm-hmm. you read it. Um, yeah, it's a really – again, I'm enjoying these issues individually and I'm not – uh, I'm I'm increasingly dissatisfied with the series as a whole. Hmm. Interesting. After yeah. being, you'll remember, amazingly happy with the first fifty issues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Like I mean... astonishingly happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the problems of reading all of these in a wonder is, or like the last whatever, twelve issues in a wonder mm-hmm. is, you do like get that tonal whiplash. Right. We are like, wait, what? No, why are we doing this now? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're what? <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I, I've said this like another books I caught up with is Snyder's Justice League, mm-hmm. which I've said this before, like reads poorly in single issues and reads well in collections. Yes, right? or reads well in a, as a winner, and that's true. Mm-hmm. And King's Batman almost feels like the opposite. Mm-hmm. That at this point, it does not hang together when you read more than an arc at a time. Mm, mm-hmm. But if you read them individually, you can you can find something there. You can find things to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, it's it's it's. I uh, I don't know how I'm feeling about King's Batman right now. Um, also, you you are not reading Heroes in Crisis, right? No, I'm not. And issue six of that just came out, I think. Which again is the Agrad's illustrated issue, mm. which like the last guest artist, which I think was Lee Weeks. I can't remember at this point. I think mm. it was Lee Weeks. Um, is again a flashback to before the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like nightmares is in Batman, is almost like subtext becoming text. Mm-hmm. This issue of Heroes of Crisis is very much subtext becoming text. Mm-hmm. And what makes it fascinating is it's not subtext about Heroes in Crisis. Hmm. It's subtext about basically the role Wally West has played since Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember in DC Rebirth, the Wally West comes back and everyone's like, oh, how could I have forgotten you? Right. In Heroes in Crisis 6, you see that scene play out and you see the Flash say to Wally, you know, it's like hope has returned. Mm-hmm. And then you see other characters say the same thing over and over again to him. Mm-hmm. And he, and then it basically cuts to him being like, how can hope have returned when my wife doesn't know who I am and my kids don't exist anymore? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how is this hopeful? Mm-hmm. What is, what is hopeful about this? There, there is nothing hopeful. This is terrible. This is, this is appalling. Why do people put all this pressure on this one person to save everything when the, when this terrible thing has happened to them? Mm-hmm. 
And it's such a weird thing to read because it, like, the issue reads like a subtweet of Jeff Johns. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose it does, but I think, I think there's, uh, how do I put it? it? I mean, he's not wrong. Well, yeah. He, I mean, he's not wrong, but I, I sort of feel that it, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it, it, at least as it was building up steam and may still come to pass or not. I uh, had a, a certain amount of surliness about King's run on Batman because there was a, a certain degree of um, King seems to have hit his superhero, t- t- his time as a superhero writer at a point where I think he is most ambivalent about the superhero concept. And so it seems to me that a lot of the books, a lot of his, a lot of his superhero stuff that seems to work the strongest has a a very strong current of like, like uh, like you said a struggle between the text and the meta text in which the for me it feels like a creator who's looking at this thing is kind of like transferring the futility of a work for hire creator onto the work for hire creation you know what i mean mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what can this per- what can this thing do apart from be reset over and over and over again you know or what kind of expectations can you have for someone or something that if you think about it has undergone you know tremendous amounts of loss and pain you know like if you if you just think about the cumulative weight about what any superhero has or has gone through and kind of pushing that to these sort of larger scales you know the 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 crisis really being this idea of like you know a a different way of looking at um what you suggest johns might be getting at with doomsday clock is like these things exist as ideas and ideals and if you take them too seriously like they don't work and king kind of being like what can you really say about them then? I mean, and to the extent I would say that there's a case to be made that that um, King's sort of eternal recurring mid midlife crisis of a superhero story that that seems to kind of be playing out in his in his superhero work has a very large degree of the characters being struggling heavily with the weight of their own futility. You know what I mean? In a way that mirrors again, like the work for higher creator, but also for me, someone on the, you know, on the far side of 50, I definitely felt like going through my mid forties, there is a whole level of, um, at the very least discomfort caused by this idea of like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this thing over and over and over again, you know, and, or pretending that it's all okay. And underneath it, it's isn't, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's very moving, but there is also a level at which, um, I, 
A, part of me still prefers it to kind of where John's is going with it, I guess. But B, I do wonder, I, I feel that King so far, I've been most happy with that storyline told like in the vision and Mr. Miracle and I think far less so from Batman and Heroes in Crisis after that first issue. I was very much well, no, uh, but, I'm waiting for Hoopla, you know. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. Like is it easier and or better to tell those stories with characters who are not basically your big names? Right. No, exactly. Because there are like, right. I'm trying to think of a better way of saying like does anyone want to see Superman have an aerospace time? Right. No, exactly. Or Batman, for that matter. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I say that, except, like, you know, like, you remember Batman R.I.P.? Everyone wants to see Batman have an aerospace time. Well, but actually, the <laughs> thing that I thought was, you know, the, the thing that was weird and fun about Batman R.I.P. was the way in which Morrison as Morrison frequently does, came up with a way to have his cake and eat it too. You know? Well, you mean, it was like, it's, it's never expected, but also it's wacky and there's the devil. Well, it's wacky. There's the devil, like Batman's losing his mind, but he's also, it's his backup operating system. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't lose, but, and ultimately it ends up becoming this whole mega epic in which Grant Morrison creates a in text spell to exercise Batman, you know? And then of course, in the course of, by the end of Batman incorporated, he's like, uh, but it's never going to fucking work. You know what I mean? But like right up until the end of the return of Bruce Wayne, you've, and even in the starting parts of Batman Incorporated, you very much have this, this thing where Morrison's like, no, 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 no. You know, as he frequently does, he's like, everything's terrible and awful and destroyed. And yet it's also okay. And everything is fantastic and there's nothing to worry about. You know, like <laughs> that, that I feel like a, unsurprisingly, I feel like a lot of dudes at DC look at that and are like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that, you know, with the, and with, with lesser and greater degrees of success, you know, for me, I feel like, you know, Snyder runs very heavily with that ball through Batman and into Justice League. And uh, and I, I see extents to which, um, you know, like you said, how much people really do want to see Batman lose his mind. I mean, that that really does become when you were talking about Doomsday Clock, part of me was very frustrated because in the back of my brain, I'm like, is there ever been a person whose career uh, makes them worse equipped to talk to argue the case for superheroes as beautiful and enduring ideas than Jeff Johns, you know, like Johns always. Oh yes, there is. Come on. Well, I mean, sure. Like, I don't know, Chuck Dixon maybe, or, but, <laughs> you know, but I mean like Johns yeah, and, is. And, and Johns... All, in all seriousness, for my tastes, I would say Jeff Johns is a better person to talk about that than Alan Moore is. Uh, I you 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 and I will never agree on we'll that. We'll never like, agree in the on that. Like, but, you but, uh, but 
Like, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's just. I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't, like, I would never phrase it in the, to the extent that you just did. Well, okay. I, I, like, think, I think that Jones has is very much made a career out of going, I don't, uh, I'm trying to, again, again, I'm trying to say something in a nice way and only thinking of terrible ways of saying it. <laughs> Well, you can do that. God knows that's that was me two weeks ago. So, I, I mean, I think no, you can go for I, it. Because I, I was going to say Jeff Johns has made a career out of applying the minimal, like, real-world pop psychology to superheroes. Uh, sure. I mean, yes. I, but he also – I feel that he believes in them as an idea deep down. Uh, I don't – it's so, just I think in order for him to get to the point that he wants to get to, he will also, you know, rip a few arms off. We'll see, or, and I think that's it. No, I think there is, and I think that's exactly kind of the point that I'm circling, which no, of course I, is not a surprise. No, you know. I, I know, I know right. very much what you're trying to say. Yeah, but and but I think that. Uh, well, I can't so, but I no, a way of saying ripping a few arms off doesn't mean that you don't believe in superheroes. Well, no, 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 no. I agree, but I mean, I I would say, isn't it, isn't it potentially more likely that you have someone who starts off their career ripping off a few arms, going on feeling terrible about it? saying that they weren't a very mature person and then spending a certain amount of time to an extent moving away from that and unfortunately having a, 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 a somehow inability to get away from rape scenes as opposed to uh, John's John's has uh, I, my problem is, is that there are levels in which it just, it just feels too cynical. And although I've heard him make ex- not excuses, because again, it's a loaded pejorative. He said, well, things no, exactly. Like, Especially he's... when you're comparing it to, to Moore, who yeah, very yeah, yeah. much like has made the same type of excuses. Right. Well, yes, but I get, I, right. And I would say that the extent to which I, you're right, maybe I'm, I'm being, generous to more in being like well sure you know the guy grew up with like 70s exploitation cinema and john's is, himself is like he grew up during mortal Kombat and mortal Kombat 2 where arms and legs and spines and things were ripped out with abandon you know and well did he though like he's, i wouldn't say that i i wouldn't say that i grew up with mortal Kombat, and jeff johns is the same age as me Jeff Johns, let's put it this way. I definitely remember Jeff Johns saying that using Mortal Kombat as an excuse for that at one point. Maybe he, maybe I'm not remembering the context correctly or he later went on to recant, but I definitely remember him very explicitly giving the shout out to Mortal Kombat. I'm literally, I'm literally, he, okay, the best I can see with a quick Google is him saying that he grew up on Mortal Kombat. Okay, he grew up on Mortal Kombat, but I swear to God, somebody in conversation was like, but why do you? And he's like, Mortal Kombat, dude. You know, so. like, It was, it was a tweet. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> that's literally it. That's all, like, in, in a quick Google, that's all I can get. Okay. 
So and also he's advertising a fucking Mortal Kombat like DC project at the well, time. There so you go. Well, your so, mileage varies, <laughs> right? Well, all I'm saying is, is like Graham, I'm try, I'm tr- I'm trying to cut him in out in a way. I really am. Like part of me is like, okay, so maybe right. If I'm willing, if I'm willing to let uh, DJ Rape Meister off the hook, um, like maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there's a few I'm, arms I'm and all... legs that are being torn off that I am, you know wrong to assume that it is merely someone who knows what moves the needle uh in the marketplace uh playing to that while at the same time knowing that the marketplace especially in the for the company that he works on needs a certain amount of uh, you know um, kowtowing to the idea of heroes as positive ideals, you know. So yeah, maybe, maybe I uh, see, and I was totally going to give you shit and being like Jeff. I'm so glad you've come around to the idea that Jeff, that Alan Moore just includes rape all the time. And now, no, it just seems it seems petty, Jeff. And, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to be petty. I'm not. I'm going to be the bigger man. <laughs> Well, that's that's pretty impressive, Graham. I really have to say. Um, I was, oh, oh yeah. So the, the reason I was like, I'm not sure about Mortal Kombat is, I was thinking that he grew up with a, just a different generation of violence, mm-hmm. like movie violence in the 80s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was, you know, equally over the top, gross, sure, and, and cartoonish. Yeah, that I wasn't. I like. I wasn't trying to remove your out i was just saying like generationally i think mortal kombat isn't the right place to go uh right and you could well be like I said i was pulling a, a thing that i swear i saw but yeah i right it's a it's there's there's something to be said for that and who knows i mean that it's it's interesting to me that there are lots of ways that if you think about it john's as a child of the 80s revisiting Watchmen via Doomsday Clock, which is very much a book about the 80s. Like, Oh, it, Doomsday Clock in so many ways is specifically about DC Comics in the 1980s. Like, very, very, very much about the, the, the DC Comics around the time that Watchmen was being published. Well, right, as you mentioned with Nathaniel Dusk, but but, but also, like, there's Blue Devil references. There's characters who, not to be utterly in about it, like, aren't in continuity anymore, but were in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. But there, there, there are situations that, that aren't in play anymore that were in the 1980s. But does that, but does that, does that mean anything other than, then, then it being something does, about DC uh, Comics in the 1980s. I mean, at the risk of giving away issue nine or any of the other stuff. What, what do you mean? Does that mean anything? Well, I, I think that uh, although it is um, probably <laughs> glib and facile to say, I feel that one of the things that works for me about Watchmen or works for a lot of people when they read it is kind of this thing of you can sort of stick to kind of the more meathead take on Watchmen of like, oh, hey, it's about like, what if characters, you know, what if, what if superheroes were real? What does that really mean? You know, but, 
but it's Watchmen is very much about puncturing an idea of America as a superpower and its conception of itself in the 80s. Oh no, like the Doomsday Clock is much. Um, it is very much a response to Watchmen, yeah. as opposed to something that stands in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it is more limited in scope. Mm-hmm. I would not say that the 1980s DC comicsness of it is the point. Mm-hmm. It is more a flavor, right. and for for my read, adds to the subtext of it being a response to Watchmen and also a response to the effects of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think like the 1980sness is is the point in the slightest. That said, Doomsday Clock is very much a comic about comic books. Mm-hmm. That that does seem that seems to be from the distance the one part that seems, uh, for whatever reason else, um, uh, it, it seems to most clearly signal and also seems to me to be the least interesting part of uh, I, I guess part part of the dissuader or one of the dissuaders is is that idea of like huh i guess in many places even though that's exactly the sort of thing that turns my crank for whatever reason oh it, it's it it's never going to turn your crank right even if you get outside of the uh moral complications of using a watchman yes it would never turn your crank because I don't think you're interested in Jeff John's point of view in the subject. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and I, this is me putting words into your mouth, so mm-hmm. correct me if I'm. Mm-hmm. I don't think ultimately you respect John's enough to care what he thinks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's right. like it's just not a book for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's. Uh, I again, you know, read it on Hoopla when it's done. Right. You know, but I suspect you'll read it on Hoopla and be like, yep, that's pretty much what I thought it was going to be. And that's it. Huh. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think this book is going to say anything to you that you will want to hear. Uh, because of the person saying it or because there's a message there that I don't want to hear or I'm not interested because in? of the person saying it's because of the ways in which they're saying it's because of the watchman connection. Like there's just, there's so many things that strikes against this book mm-hmm. that I think that you, um, I just think it will, will not work for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that there's, I, uh, I don't think you could be convinced of the value of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Right. Well, uh, I... <laughs> that said, like, I am almost convinced you are going to read it. I and I am almost convinced you're going to read it, and then you're going to complain about it. <laughs> oh, well, of course. I no, mean... but you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's like... I, I, I know that this book is going to do nothing for you mm-hmm. other than potentially entertain you by enraging you. <laughs> and yet I can, I can almost like, you know, a year from now, we're going to have an episode where you'd be like, so I finally read Doomsday Clock and boy, let me tell you. And then we'll have like an hour of you just going, it's everything I thought it was and it's facile and, and just going off on it. 
Right. Right. Uh, well, everyone, put that on your Set calendar. Your clocks. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking clocks, forward wait to this. Or uh, like, let's give it two months after the collection comes out, whenever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's see when that is going to be, because God knows. Again, he, this point is the series going to end. Yes. Who knows? Right. It's. <laughs> There's some serious ass delays there, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. They were doing so well in their admittedly revised schedule up until this issue, and then it went careered off the uh, path. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is interesting, considering in some ways, like I would have kind of thought that it would have righted itself in the sense that John's, because of the schedule. Well, yeah, because Johns had stepped away from his uh, COO position or whatever it was um is it chief creative officer he's not which he's not right he's returning no, he's to, not anymore no. yeah so but now he's set up like various other like things at warner brothers so mm-hmm. for all i know he's busier right right yeah absolutely i mean if nothing else he's now show running the the Sargirl show for dc universe uh oh yeah that's right that's right he's he's actually the showrunner on that yeah yeah, that's interesting. Well, and he did. Uh, he's got he's got a credit on the Aquaman movie, right? Isn't he? He wrote the Aquaman movie, didn't he? I thought I thought he has a story he by credit. At least. Yeah, yeah. He, at the very least. But he's got a story by credit, and then I don't remember if the screenplay credit goes to someone else you, or you, team of someone else. You may or may not remember being appalled at me for not having seen Aquaman. Yes. I don't remember. Uh, I discovered just today it's playing at second round theater near my house. Oh, oh, that's great. Are you going to go to like I'm really excited. I'm really excited because, and again, I wanted to see Aquaman the first time around. I just didn't because like life got in the way. But the prospect of seeing Aquaman and only paying $3 for it seems 100% right. Yes. Yes. It's kind of a shame that you're not going to like triple down on it and go get yourself like a really good. Uh, marijuana edible and eat it half an hour before the show but <laughs> other than that you've got like you're two-thirds of the way to a great time Graham I gotta tell you so uh, <laughs> you know uh, do you remember me talking the other week about uh shit the where do you it? remember you talking to yourself about yeah, it it's very funny I just don't <laughs> remember the goddamn name which is horrible because I literally saw it it's the I'm Moved to Los Angeles to work in the animation industry. Yeah, yeah. The the um, Natalie. Yeah. Fuck, I can't remember her name either. Yeah, really see, there you me. go. Right, that's what you get for mocking me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let me see. Are you looking it up, or do I have to look it up? I'm looking up. Okay. Thank uh, you. Natalie Nurga. Yes. I moved to Los Angeles to work in animation. Holy crap! I was mostly right. I want to say I as I talked about it a few weeks ago, enjoyed it, um, but also was kind of like eh, I would have enjoyed it more in other aspects. Like I, I felt like it ran a little, um, it, it ultimately ran a little long and ended up being a bit underwhelming. Like it, it changed scope at a certain point to get out the door, and that was fine. All that said, I'm super glad that I saw it because I feel read it because. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw for the second time uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and it's actually kind of a great double feature with I Moved to Los Angeles to Work in Animation. Um, yeah. Okay, it, explain that. Uh, 
So the thing that I was really aware of while watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse the second time around is a how much of it um like just like like a lot of the pieces that I wasn't paying attention to really fall together in a plot way. And I was like, oh, this is really enjoyable and satisfying. But even more to the point, the the part that I realize is is that the subtext of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is about a collection of creative individuals telling another individual that they can be this and do this. There's just certain things that they have to do and have to have. Um, and so essentially reading, I moved to Los Angeles and worked in animation. It's a lot of, it's very much a guide of like, do you want to work in animation? Here's what you have to do. There's this and that, and you should join us. We need these voices. We need this community. We need all this stuff. The changes that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse makes to Miles Morales' story, from what I can tell, are largely decisions that uh, thematically up the idea of Miles as a creative individual. And so his uh his doing his mural with uh with uncle Aaron in the early part of the movie his uh creation of his of his spider sona of his spider suit is very aware of someone who is um you know an artist and a graffiti artist and that that is a side of him that he feels is not acceptable to his dad it's associated with his um associated with his uncle and the ne'er-do-well and he's miles is trying to be a good son and this is this is a huge chunk of the movie he can never his spider powers keep not working for him throughout the entire movie the only <clears throat> it they only work for him literally after he is tied up you know, gagged and helpless and his father outside the door literally tells him that he loves him unconditionally and will accept him no matter what. And at that point, of course, he gets his powers. He's able to be Spider-Man. And the thing that I didn't tr catch the first time through the second time, part of what really underscores this is the first time I just sort of thought the dad complaining about Spider-Man in the first part of the movie was very much kind of like, oh, this is this is how we're doing the J. Jonah Jameson take of the person who's close to Spider-Man who doesn't like yeah. him. That Aunt May, JJJ kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, it's this idea of Miles cannot be Spider-Man because his dad doesn't like spider-man and won't he can't let himself be that until his father basically gives him this statement permission yeah and so at at that point miles joins the group of other spider-men and the part that really sticks for me is of course there's that great montage where he goes and aunt may gives him some web shooters and he starts moving through the city and it it ends with 
him, you know, swinging up and making this huge leap of faith, the jump over the trust us bank. And mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time being like, why is it trust us? Like, I mean, I know it's like trust us, but and it looks like trust us. But why is it trust us? And it, and it, it really is this awareness of every the other spider characters are essentially established creative creators who have to do this thing and have been doing this thing this whole time and you know they they ultimately can't they want to support miles but they cannot trust him to get it done and i think this is one of the things that again really changes the nature with spider-man into the spider-verse is one of the big crucial points is the like the great power with great power comes great responsibility kind of gets pushed to the side a lot in into the Spider-Verse. Like it's said yes. and and played with at various points. What really gets emphasized is the idea that what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is the fact that he always gets back up. You know, it's very much kind of a, a revisit of the of the famous, you know, um, Spider-Man issue 33 or whatever it is where he's underneath all the machinery. But it's very much this idea of like, you just have to get up and keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. And I really had this weird epiphany while watching it the second time through. It's like, oh, they're talking. They're talking, this is a movie made by creative people to other creative people saying like, you can be us, you trust us, you can do this, you just have to keep getting back up. You just can't give up. And so so the act of creating yourself that, that Miles goes through in Spider-Man is plugged into those greater points. Like when we see him, he's like drawing, he's sketching, he is, he's, he's an artist. And so the movie is about him becoming that. Anyway, so that's, that's what I noticed while watching the second time. And I don't think I would have caught it quite as much if I hadn't read uh, Natalie's book. What is wonderful about that, besides the fact that, like, you brought out a lot of things that I just were not in my mind at all, but into the Spider-Verse, is that I am, um, like, now that it's out digitally, mm -hmm. on my to-do list is to watch the film again really soon. Because I do, like, I, I have thought about that film a lot since I saw it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is something that sticks in your head. Uh, and not just, like, when I went to see it originally, I was excited pretty much because I saw the animation style and I was like, okay. Right. This, this, if nothing else, this will be visually fascinating. Yeah. And what I, I thought about it so much more since is not this visually great because it is, mm -hmm. but that there is so much narratively there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there is so much, it does so much work to reposition Spider-Man as a concept. Yes. Uh, so successfully and so subtly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you come away from that uh, believing that Peter Parker isn't spider not believing Peter Parker isn't Spider-Man, believing that you don't have to be Peter Parker to be Spider-Man. Yes. You don't have to have had an Uncle Ben. That's you right. don't have to have the with great power must come great responsibility speech. That there is something else there. That is something greater. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think Into the Spider-Verse is 
arguably the most successful thing since like the original Lee and Ditko comics mm-hmm. at making a case for Spider-Man being an archetype of a, of a hero mm-hmm. as opposed to a corporate icon. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm. Like it, it feels like there's some, it feels like it's the Spider-Verse makes a case for Spider-Man standing for a greater ideal than Spider-Man. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably true. Although, uh, again, I, I, after having said all the stuff that I said, I realized that way back around the time that uh, Peter Parker got unmasked in at the end of Civil War or Civil War <laughs> Two or whatever issue it was where he unmasks, uh, and the fact that Marvel stuck with that for kind of a crazily long period of time before rebooting it. Uh, there was for me this real sense of, um, you know, there's always been kind of the artist uh, dichotomy, like the the sense that Spider-Man is sort of a weird archetype for not just an artist, but a struggling artist, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not surprising because, of course, you know, Peter ends up being a, a, a freelance photographer, you know, but yeah. Um, but so there is there's there's a lot there. But yeah, no, I I I at least my second viewing of Enter the Spider Verse is like I think you'll have a great time watching it, and I'm actually looking forward to to watching it again. There was enough parts that I just loved that were um, that were like I said it's 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 a very satisfying movie, and it definitely does. I mean, maybe you won't take the same things out of it that I did, but it. But I, it's deep enough there that you can you you can have things that you can pull out of it. I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm 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 I am like eager to watch that film. Again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, get it get it lined up because you depending on your uh, experience, you may need you you may need a little bit of um, post Aquaman self care depending so <laughs> i was going to say just the opposite i should watch spider verse to get myself in the right frame of mind for Aquaman. <laughs> oh no 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 <laughs> no it's the other way right <laughs> i think so i think so yeah 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 you don't i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe you'll watch that and be like you're you're wrong jeff you're very wrong but i feel i feel that aquaman's uh pleasures are you know no pun intended very much all on the surface like uh, all too horribly much on the surface, and then, and then if you want something where it goes fun? a little further, well, the surface world, you know. Yeah, so I'm saying. Uh, Wait, you're saying uh, it's not a pun? I, I no, I'm saying is that why you made that pun? Oh, I see. No, 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 no. I just I realized that that was the proper term, and I realized I was going to make a, a completely assholeish pun unintentionally if I didn't at least you know hang up. Yeah, exactly. Put a big old lantern on it, uh, Graham. So let's see here. We're we're uh, we're still short of two hours, which is great. Do you, is there I, news? I is there talk, comics? I, yes. Great. I want to talk about comics that I've been reading um, that are very old, are not good, mm-hmm. and have given me so much pleasure this week. Great. Uh, I went to Comic Swap like last month at some point. Now I think it was February. I honestly don't remember. Time is a flat circle, etc. Um, but I got a shit ton of Superman family comics for cheap. Ooh. 
like dollar dollar comic. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you've got like seven stories in there, and and they're not reprint. It's not the hundred page no, giant it's, it's reprints. All, it's all, all original new, material. All yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And they what year was this? I've got them beside me. What year was 78? this? Seventy seven. Oh, okay. 77 through, like, these go through, like, 70, probably 80 at this point. Mm-hmm. 77 through, what's the last one I've got? 79. Mm. Um, first of all, they are trashy as shit, and yet I love them. In fact, <laughs> I paid less than a dollar for each issue. Wow. Helped significantly. That's amazing. Secondly, I was honestly stunned to see that especially towards the end of these issues tom defalco is writing an awful lot of this comic really like tom defalco yeah um there is a jimmy olsen four-parter mm-hmm. the defalco writes which is jimmy olsen is visited by the newsboy legion who wants to know what happens to the guardian mm-hmm. that is a direct sequel to like Kirby's Olsen stuff. Wow. Which is nuts. Um, but I love, I love these comics. I mm-hmm. genuinely love them. And one of the reasons I love them is they are not trying to be anything other than pedestrian filler. Mm-hmm. And there is something so weirdly comforting to me. And this is not nostalgia because I have not read these comics before. I didn't grow up in this stuff. Mm-hmm. But something weirdly comforting to me about reading, like, you know, an eight-page short, which has almost no conflict, <laughs> from, like, the late 70s. Mm. Like, there's just something weirdly charming about how low the stakes of these stories are. Mm-hmm. And how just benign everyone including the villains are in these comics Mm. like there's literally one where jimmy olsen is trying to uncover corruption in hockey in ice hockey (laughs) and the corruption is honestly like two random hoods who are just like we thought we could make money betting against the big guys (laughs) the end It's fucking weird. Lois Lane has a supporting cast member who I've never heard of before called the Human Cannonball. Who is a dude who literally just like hangs around offices of the Daily Planet going, Lois, do you need that help? I can literally throw myself at people. Wow. Wow. Crypto is adopted by a private detective. (laughs) And falls in love with like, I was going to say human dogs, earth dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. Human dogs. Is that is that drawn by like Kurt Schreffenberger or like Kurt Schwan? No, or it's somebody? not. No, it, it's it's uh, who's who's drawing the crypto stories. Crypto is drawn by um, John Calnan. Mm. Not a name uh, that rings a bell for me. No, uh, Kurt Schwarzenberger basically does like a, a story in each issue, but it, it switches between like is it Jimmy, is it Lois? Right. You know it. it it's he's not none of these these strips seem to have like uh consistent creative teams apart from the writers and even then the writers seem to get swapped between the strips mm-hmm. shoot so like carrie bates will do like superman and then the next issue will do like nightwing and flame bird and then you know next issue he's doing jimmy mm-hmm. um, but it's it's like i said it's this weird comfort foods that isn't nostalgia mm-hmm 
You know, it, there's something really, really strange and wonderful about these books. Again, that I got them for so cheap did not hurt one bit. But it made me really wish there was something like this now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like charmingly low stakes supporting character comics. Right. No, I I know what you mean. It kind of feels like, uh, at least within the superhero realm, that doesn't really exist, you know? Um, like, and, and, you know, the fact that we're getting Lois and Jimmy books mm-hmm. starting this summer mm-hmm. um, is great. Mm-hmm. But with all respect in the world to the creative teams of these books they're not going to be like low stakes books do you know what i mean because you just don't have that anymore right right like you i mean you kind of do like squirrel girl kind of is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and devil dinosaur kind of is yeah but those like you know there's no way the lowest lane book is going to be like that jimmy right. olsen is matt fraction and c labor honestly who knows what that book is going to be like? Right, exactly. Like that book might end up being low stakes just because, like, Matt Fraction loves writing essentially like Scuzzball Losers. Right. Well, or, you know? or or the idea of of yeah, I can see him. In, I can see him enjoying the idea of trying to simultaneously mix the high stakes and the low stakes. There, that seems very in up up his alley, and because. Yeah, yeah. Lever has such great experience doing both and Jimmy Olsen has such a great history with both that I can see, I can see it going that way. It, when you said like, that, I'm you like, know, yeah. Rock, Rock doing, um, Lois Lane. Yeah. Will you not know, be low stakes. I don't think. Will not be low yeah. stakes. Right. Right. Um, but, but I know I, I like, I wish that, you know, with the news that the DC's expanding the, the hundred page giant line mm-hmm. and taking it's not no longer going to be exclusive to Walmart. You saw that, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, part of me was like, fuck it, just a Superman family book like this again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to sell them in comic book stores? Great. You know, get get Hannah Blumenreich on board. You know, get, <laughs> get John Allison on board. Right. And, and do the supporting characters. Like, mm-hmm. I would read a DC supporting characters title, 100 yes. Page Shine. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get the right the right creators on board, mm-hmm. like imagine Joan Allison and Hannah doing a book like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it would be great. It yeah. would be genuinely great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just no. I I I really want that sort of comic again. Mm-hmm. I want that sort of comic to exist again. Mm-hmm. Again, sort of within a larger superhero context, right? Like again, yeah. you know. No, 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 specifically with, you know, because that's the thing about these stories. They are, you know, Jimmy is is dealing with whatever, you know, Jimmy's dealing with corrupt cops or Lois has got, you know, got some weird, you know, social justice thing she's uncovering. But at some point, one of them will need to call Superman for help so he can, like, fucking fly in and be like, oh, what's this? I'll lift up this heavy who's trapped in a safe. Right. Right, but again, it's it's that low stakes, but it needs the quote unquote super element. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I I want something like that, that weird mix of simultaneously like no stake, and you know, for one panel, high stakes. that needs Superman to come along. There's a great bit in in one of the Jimmy Olsen strips where 
someone more or less goes like, why aren't you calling Superman in for this? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I call Superman in for like the big things. This isn't big. <laughs> also, Jimmy Olsen in these stories, especially when DeFalco's writing them, has the biggest ego in the world. And it is fucking amazing. That's great. It's so great. Like, there's literally a part where he's like, yeah, I'm so handsome and so talented and I can just do anything I want. <laughs> and it's like, who is this? Who is this character? It's, I'm, let's see, can I find wherever the story is? But that, that, he, that does, that kind of, that does, um, line up well with sort of Silver Age Jimmy. That does, I definitely, you know, his whole, like, he'll always have that, like, ah, Lucy Lane is so crazy about me, you know, and then, you know, he's like, maybe I should just teach her a lesson about how good she has it. I'll make her jealous by going out with this heiress. And then, of course, three pages later, like, Lucy is being courted by you know, interstellar Samson or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah. yeah. But that's, you know, that's again, I want those stories again. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Absolutely. You know, I really, like, I really want to read stories like that again. I yeah. bring, bring that stuff back. Something else I want to say about this very quickly before we move on is, um, the first, uh, dollar comic, the first, like all new, you know, stories issue mm-hmm. that I've got mm-hmm. has a cover by Kurt Swan and Neil Adams. Oof. Yes, Exactly. If ever there's a mix that doesn't work, mm-hmm. because the resulting thing is literally none of those characters look on model, <laughs> and art does not look like either Kurt Swan or Neil Adams' work. Yeah, that's just. It's, I'm gonna have to put a, like I might have to send you a picture of it for the 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 show notes because like Superman in particular is just as appallingly off model try. It would be it would be hilarious. I was like, who drew this? And then the thing to write in Superman is like, Kurt Swan and Neil Adams. And I was like, really? Yeah. Because, uh... Yeah, that's like the DC cover artist speedball. Like, and not the not the Marvel character, but the, you know what I mean? It's like, don't do speed and heroin. Don't, don't put Kurt Swan and Neil Adams in the same cover. Because somebody is simultaneously having a heart attack and has just barely woken up. You know, it's just not a good mix. Can't see anything good coming from it. Graham, did you mute yourself in appalling, appalled appallingness? Uh, no, but I, I lost you for a second, and then you came up going, mute yourself. Ah, okay. It's just as well. Tech you were very quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tech. Uh, should You know, we're right at the hour mark. Should we jump, come back? I know you've got uh, another thing. I, David Wolken, will scalp me alive if I don't talk about the comics he sent me. So, uh, I, I don't think I do have another thing, but I'm very interested to hear about David Wolken stuff. So, yeah, call, uh, call back and then we'll do the Wolken stuff. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Hello, Jeff Lester. Guy. Yes. Jeff Lester, I have a question. <laughs> yes, Graham McMillan. Tell me about these comics that David Wilkins sent you. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, internet sweetheart and all-around great guy, uh, David Wilkins. I mean, really, everyone who has ever interacted with David Wilkins loves him, right? Yeah. This, I, is, this is not sarcasm. David is genuinely one of the best, persons in, best people in the world and maybe one of the most handsome. Yes. There is something 
genuinely perfect about David Walken. Yeah. That should be infuriating. Yeah. And yet it's impossible because David Walken is one of like the most thoughtful, like kind, yeah. <laughs> amazing people. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And in that regard, uh, I am having trouble finding the message because he and I sort of like exchanged uh maybe an email or two and uh i thought it was a text message but then i didn't find it but i didn't check my twitter dms he sent me some comics that he found i believe in a used bookstore in new zealand where he was kind of like ah pick these up and then i thought of you so i'm passing them along it is issue 131 of dark horse presents and even better issues one and two of nightmares uh from 1985 eclipse comics uh two issues of nightmares it is a it, it is a two issue limited series don mcgregor and doug mench writing stories both illustrated by paul galacy so uh, that's like the most you comic in the world exactly right like i think bless his heart that's precisely why Wolken was like I clearly have to send these to to Jeff. He will appreciate it. I have to say the issue of DHP that he sent is amazing because it has uh, Girl Crazy by Gilbert Hernandez, a Dan and Larry story by Dave Cooper, and then the first chapter of The Fall by Ed Brubaker and Jason Lutz. So it's, you know, it's got a... It's, it's got also a, up there. Yeah, it's also right freaking up there which is amazing to me anyway nightmares is extraordinary one of the things that uh is uh fabulous about it is cat ironwood uh in her opening editorial on the inside page um of both issues actually talks about how people are complaining uh, how uh, uh letter hacks are complaining that marvel comics are tampering and rewriting their letters like it actually has like her second paragraph and here's something to hook close to your heart graham rick brown of high point north carolina said that his letter to micronauts was tampered with so much that it concluded with an opinion he quote never wrote and never believed unquote oh wow yeah because because this is some classic uh, shit stirring that only the comics buyer guide issue 597 can bring to the table and cat cat ironwood is taking and running with it which is great because of course as uh as she points out um cat is was a huge uh letter prolific letter hack as was dean mulaney back in the day and um and in fact you know, she, both of them sent a ton of he. She had a lot of letters printed in Master of Kung Fu with Doug Mensch and uh, Paul Galacy. So, ah, so here you have it. Um, from what I can tell, these stories that are in here, two stories: the Trespasser by McGregor and Galacy, uh, and the fucking fabulously named Blood on Black Satin, uh, <laughs> are 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 chopped in half, so you get parts. You know. Issue one has part one of each, and then uh, issue two has part two of each. Both of them read to me like um, Warren comic stories that uh, that more or less um, 
either didn't got paid a kill fee for or something or the copyrights are are in uh everyone's name apparently but uh they're they're it's kind of the thing that I have to say bums me out is for a guy who's really in the tank for Don McGregor. Uh, I think he more or less loses to to Doug Mensch in this regard because the Trespasser is a story set in the far flung future of 1995, I think 1998, mm-hmm. where a doctor is called out to a um, uh, plantation more or less society has sort of semi kind of collapsed with like riots and things and it's a shame because it's there's a part that's kind of prescient which is essentially uh the rich have more or less taken all their toys and gone away Uh, that that the last group of you know the start poor and starving masses when they tried to pull a revolution and redistribute the wealth. The rich are kind of like, fuck you guys, and just fucked off with their little private security forces and, and went out into the middle of nowhere and built these big, super sprawling mansions for themselves. This doctor is called out to one of these estates because the woman is convinced that her family is sick and in the throes of um, some sort of weird illness that seems almost like a... Uh, preternatural magical curse or whatever uh and it turns out to be the thing that's probably most worth uh mentioning and the thing that will cause you to slap your head all but audibly is the tremendous amount of uh photo referencing that <laughs> that's not where i thought you were going with that i honestly for some reason thought you were going to go to nudity oh no uh, uh, honestly, could, uh, the, the books could have done with a little more nudity, and they actually do break out a little bit more in Blood and Black Satin, which may be part of why I ended up enjoying it. But uh, but no, the the really weird part is is like Graham. Let's say you've got a doctor who is sort of a a voice of reason, no nonsense, but you know. Definitely not necessarily a man of action, you know, but one mm-hmm. who, of course, will fight when cornered, essentially. You've got all of Hollywood circa 1981 to pull from your photo referencing. Who would you use? I'm using Jack Klugman as Quincy. That would be excellent. And yes, absolutely not. It's it's uh, James Coburn. So, of course, lots of shots of James Coburn. What's hilarious is the uh, security guys are twin brothers, one of whom I guess has a scar and the other one doesn't. And those dudes are both the um, uh, police officer from the first 20 minutes of Psycho, who more or less like, you know, semi stocks Vivian Lee for the first part of the picture. Um, and, uh, there's, I think there's another, I didn't recognize who the, anyway, spoilers. Uh, it turns out that the rich people without even knowing it have built their mansion on a toxic atomic super fun site. And so they're all being decayed and eaten away by radioactivity. But 
they end oh, up. Oh, there's more? Well, I oh, mean, no. no, no, because, of course, there's the thing where because the doctor's an intruder, he ends up having to fist fight a dude, like, literally on top of, like, a rope bridge above alligators that he barely manages to survive. And then the, the mansion burns down and people are shot. And, yes, someone does get stabbed with a pitchfork. Um it's it's all it's all pretty lurid, but not really especially enjoyable. Uh, more lurid and more enjoyable. Blood on black satin is almost Doug Mensch being like, mm, am I going to rip off the wicker man or aren't I? And never really quite getting around to making <laughs> up his mind. But well, I'll get to it later. Oh, the story's finished. Yeah, basically, because, again, these things were sort of done by like, you know, for like Warren comics. So that also has a guy who's like, I think, is he a private investigator who ends up being called to the uh, English town of Middlesex, which is currently in the throes of madness um, slash what appears to be, you know, uh, kind of the, the celebration of Graham. You might've heard of this all Hallows Eve where where the pagans all dress up like um in some of these like giant pumpkins anyway it's it's i really appreciated Wilkins sending me these comics because they were a wonderful read and i think david whatever he paid for them in new zealand dollars realized he got robbed and could only sort of pay it forward so i'm going to have to figure out someone to send these two for free so that they can also get their i thought you were gonna say reimburse some way to reimburse david oh yeah no 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 you're screwed david sorry you're never getting that money back it's gone but i will make sure but again someone else... david's such a nice person yeah he's they probably fine with like it. That, no that's fine I, as long as they gave you a moment's exactly yeah i don't think that in any way he was expecting restitution all I'm saying is, let's say that he paid, like, as you would at a Frankenstein comic swap, less like a than a dollar yeah. each, like yeah. New Zealand dollar. Part of me is like, okay, I don't know if he got, he didn't get his New Zealand dollars worth, but by sending them to me, maybe he got his New Zealand 50 cents worth. Probably not. But if I send them to someone and then they send them to someone else, our New Zealand quarter would probably be appropriate for them. I mean, it's 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 paying it forward, Jeff. That's yeah. the entire theory behind paying it forward. Also, I'd like to point out to David and all the other listeners, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic about David being the best person on the planet. I'm really not. He's not. He's not. I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. My love and admiration for David Wilkin honestly knows no bounds. Yes. Although, Graham, let me turn this on you. When you actually explained the phrase paying it forward by saying that it was paid but forward were you patronizing me or were you pretty sure that i knew but you were like covering it for people for whom the phrase paying it forward might have sounded like uh, uh like paying it forward a like jack kirby character that's like Desaad's girlfriend or something uh neither i was just being sarcastic and a smart ass <laughs> thinking that's closer to option one but anyway it's fine so i had to mention them Wolken, you are you are a sweetheart and a gent i will have to come up with someone that i can pass these comics along to they i also think you need to find someone to send him 
What? Wait, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I, absolutely. I think, I think you have to find, but like something completely out of uh, unexpected. Because let's face it, you, there's no way you expected to get something like that in the mail. Right. That is true. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you yeah. need to like, I don't know, like a kitten. What's funny is my thoughts honestly turns towards cake. Cake. Yeah, uh, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's. I suppose cake makes. That's a good gift. That's a good gift. I gotta say, because because I like the idea of a kitten, because it's like it's a horrible gift. Like not only is the idea of like, <laughs> oh my god, who would send this in the mail? What kind of monster? But no, then but here's this the point of like, do I have to take care of this? Do I have yes, to feed it? Yes, that's just it. Yeah. Getting like an animal as a gift is literally the most perfect bad gift ever. Yeah. Because the person's going to be like, oh, they're so cute. And at no point in that second when they're thanking you, will they realize how much that's going to cost them Absolutely. time and money Absolutely. in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's why I was also going to tie a little thing where it's like Graham told me to send this to you like around its neck. So no, no, you send that like after the first vet bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or maybe if I get them a rattlesnake, because I'm thinking like either a kitten or a rattlesnake, both kind of have the oh, it's an animal kind of thing. But yeah, maybe maybe the the rattlesnake cuts to the chase a little bit better, quicker. I mean, I'd, sure, I I think either works. Potato, potato, Jeff. <laughs> Indeed, kitty rattler. It's there's a there's a joke I made in Wired and I haven't even checked the finished piece to see if the editorial it took it out. Oh, mm. uh, but it was comparing two things that aren't the same at all by saying potato tomato, oh, and I'm funny. like I'm genuinely fearful that a they took it out entirely or b they corrected it to potato potato. No, I know, isn't that the worst? Uh... because it wouldn't be the first time that I'd said something intentionally wrong as a joke. Right. That got corrected to the right thing and therefore made no sense in the right. finished article. How ironic. How ironic considering how much stuff gets written accidentally incorrectly on the internet and never gets corrected. So, Ah, me. Um, I feel like there was one last little thing I wanted to ask you that was comic related, but I can't think of it. So, um, I can't think of what it would be, but I will tell everyone this. And I'm saying this. Almost just to make you go to the show notes. Uh, put these in the show notes. Uh, people who have not read the speeches from Comics Pro mm. that happened a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, that's actually should, great. Right. Should actually probably go and check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, it covers a lot of grounds that you and I have already talked about, Jeff, yes. to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually, a, if nothing else, interesting, but also kind of valuable to see actual comic retailers talk about where they see the market right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, we didn't mention those at all. I'm, uh, you, of course, were tracking them. I, I read them. And maybe because so much of it what did sort of run in parallel with some of the things that we've said here, I just kind of was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> da, yeah. Da, 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 da. You know, as opposed to, again, and it, like, you know, trapped in the never ending reset cycle. I'm like, also, didn't Marvel do something really horrible recently? And I'm just, I can't even remember. I'm sure they did. Exactly. But I can't think what it would be. Yeah, I can't either. So, um, let's see. I'm just going to see if they have any, like, the Marvel press releases they've sent me. Well, there was, there was that great one where, wasn't it, where, like, isn't it like Joe Casada and CB Sabolsky were like. Oh, that's South by Southwest? Yeah, is that what, what's happening? That? The uh, two do, of them are South by Southwest doing a panel promoting comics. Yes. 
Right. And someone didn't – there was, like, some weird thing where a bunch of, like, alarmists were saying that, like, Marvel was going to stop public publishing or something no. like that or there was something where people I mean, were freaking I've, out and blowing I've out said that in the future. I've said that like in the past about the future because they, they keep outsourcing stuff. Right. Right. Oh, the, the, you also saw or maybe you didn't. Did you see the Marvel deal with Serial Box? Yes, actually. Maybe that's what I was thinking of, which is not necessarily a terrible thing per se. No, it's a very interesting thing actually. Oh, wait, was it Marvel Meow? Did you hear about this or not? No, no. There is, throughout March, throughout this month, six cat-themed variant covers. Oh, God. Uh, on Daredevil, Friendly Neighborhood, Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Meet the Skrulls, Thor, and Wolverine Infinity Watch. Um, that was actually promoted as Marvel Meow. <laughs> Maybe that's right. what I was thinking of. Cause it, if not, it should have been. Yeah, it should have been. Because there is something where I'm like, precisely as the rest of the industry, like, p- people in the industry are like, enough with the variant covers. Like, you Well, know. it's like, you know, DC are, are dropping the, the number of books they put uh, every month. Yeah. Although that was, that was a rumor that we weren't around to talk about. The DC's going to drop their thing by 10, 15%. Right. And DC are like, no, we've already done that. And they're like, have you? Shit, so you have. <laughs> um, but like, you know, so, so DC's putting out something like 67 comics in total a month now. Right. Um, and Marvel's 116 for me. Oh, God. Oof. Uh, and that's just single issues, Jeff. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. That's just... And that's not including variants. Mm-hmm. It's not? Oh, God. Nope. Well, right. Well, because DC's not including variants either, which No, because DC has a variant unlike almost every book now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Problem, problem, problematic. Problematic. Yeah. We'll see. Marvel is just going to, you know, keep publishing everything, keep licensing everything as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're going to own all the Fox properties soon. Just need all the Fox properties. So look forward to all those Fox properties showing up as Marvel Comics. Holy Unless they're... shit. Of course. Crap. Man. Unless it... they're aimed at kids, in which case IDW will get them. Right. Or they're aimed at any market other than, like, white males aged 25 to 45. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's totally true. I just had that moment of like, oh, my God. I'm actually See, going to get a Conan on the Planet of the Apes uh, series. But that's know, the, the weird thing. Like all, the, all the Fox properties are basically a boom right now. Mm-hmm. Because boom, you may or may not remember, owns a majority stake in Fox. Uh, other way around, isn't it? That's uh, sorry, yeah. Fox owns a majority stake in Boom. Yes. Of course. There's yeah. no way Boom owns a majority <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> nothing else. Fox has just been bought by Disney, so that's obviously not true. Right. Um, but that means... That Disney now owns a majority stake in Boom. Right. Really curious what's going to happen there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Although I feel like Boom has pivoted pretty, you know, there was a period where they were kind of leaning somewhat strongly on some of the Fox licensed properties and have sort of have moved away from that as far as I can tell. Sure, they've definitely done that. They're not talking about Firefly and Buffy every two seconds now at all. Oh, shit, they are, right. I'm not paying attention to the comics news. You're right, they are doing that. Oh, my. Oh, my, he says. That is interesting. Hmm. Well, you're right. Yeah. 
Because okay. those, because I maybe you're thinking that uh, they used to lean have uh, Dark Horse used to lean heavily on them, but of course Dark Horse have lost them. No, 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 no. What I was thinking of was was the fact that of uh, I mean, apart from like the short lived like diehard comic, if that ever really did come end up being coming to pass. Um, that thing wasn't didn't they like Die Hard Year One or something like yeah, that? Yeah, some, something like that. That I think Chaikin was going to write or illustrate or something. Anyway, I, it's, I don't even remember what happened. But for all intents and purposes, it was written by Howard Chaikin. Yeah, there you go. See, so uh, issues in twenty uh, two, twenty nine, ten years ago, Jeff. Hello, old. Um, the, the various uh, Planet of the Apes crossovers that uh, and and Planet of the Apes titles that that is you know it's a Fox property and and mm-hmm. Boom made a certain amount of hay out of that for a long time so in well fact, so soon there'll probably be Marvel books apparently but who knows Jesus God well anyway so yes that's thank you for breaking my brain with that little that little piece of uh, of info. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Good job. And also good job coming <laughs> up with comics news when you were like, there's nothing. There is no comics news. Well, except dot, dot, dot. Marvel Mio. It's all about Marvel Mio. <laughs> Marvel Mio. Uh, I'm going to cry myself to sleep over that one. You know, <laughs> uh, Jeff, we should we should start wrapping things up because both of us are getting tired. Yes. I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it in my voice. Yeah. Now yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And. Let's face it, we've got to we've got to be uh, fresh as daisies for next week because it's Drock case Judge Dread case file volume two, or as I call it, I forgot this one was almost entirely two mega epics. Yeah, holy That's shit, back. it's amazing. I'm uh, you, you can't as as I think we've discussed, you can't sleep on these. So I've been reading through, I think I'm still only like half, I'm not even done with the cursed earth and it's, it's quite a thing. I got to tell you, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to talking about it, but that's the also cursed earth goes on forever. It really does. Holy God. So, uh, yeah, I look forward. I look forward to visiting that with you just next week. Listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't been, um, you know, keeping up on your dread, start digging because on the one hand, at least so far for me, it's been pure chewing satisfaction, but, but man, there's a lot of material. So yeah, it really is. There's mm-hmm. so much in that. Anyway, that's next week for now. I'm going to tell you there's show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have a Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. We have an Instagram, instagram.com. Uh, Instagram.com forward slash wait what pods. We have a Twitter account at wait what podcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazy bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast. Jeffrey, tell the people what they've won. <laughs> well, uh, you've won uh, yet another installment of the Wait What podcast uh, brought to you by the incredibly talented and wonderful Graham McMillan and also me. And uh, we managed to continue. have been doing these for such a long period of time. I don't even really pay attention to the idea that the, the number 266 means anything. And then when I actually do, I'm like, oh, wait, but we also did 50 episodes of Baxter building and we're moving into Drock 
And there's over 300 plus episodes, most of which are multi-hour. This is what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, what lives? have we done with our lives? Yeah. Actually, think about that because most of the episodes were over two hours long. Yeah. So we're talking like 600 plus hours yep. of, of podcasts. Yeah. And then when I start thinking about like how long it takes for us to edit those too, it's just like – and show notes and – anyway. Uh, and it's I all – We're approaching a, a solid month's worth. Yes. Yeah. You could, you could listen to us for an entire month, 24 hours a day. If that was the way you wanted to take yourself out and I can't, please don't do that to yourself, please. I'm just, there's many other things in the world that are uh, worth living for. And, you know, like if nothing else, parcel us out. But the great thing is we are here and we're here because of the support of our listeners and people who uh, throw some really excellent comments onto the comments thread at uh, waitwhatpodcast.com. And especially our, our fine, yeah, what, fine fresh fellows. Fellows? Is it fine? Is it the... Fine fresh fellows, yeah. Yeah, fine fresh fellows. I feel like I'm dropping a young out of that. Is it fine? You're thinking young? of the fine young cannibals. That's what I'm doing. Curse you. Another reason to dislike the fine young cannibals. Anyway. It was the young fresh fellows. Young fresh fellows, yes. Which I've never heard but know of through a They Might Be Giants. Uh, yes. Of course. Thank you very much for being exactly the same as me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yes. Half of young fresh fellows take back, Jeff. What's that? She doesn't have to have her young fresh fellows take back. That's right. That's right. There's not a lot of things that she'll take back. That's right. She wants to see you again. She wants to see you again twisting in the wind, right? Yeah, we have to just have like hand claps and stuff in there. Twisting in the wind. <laughs> yeah. That's uh wow, that's kind of it is always kind of crazy when our our disparate styles sync up. Usually for a very early they might be giant song, which is Anyway, uh, I'm never getting to the end of this, uh, which I this time we've I not even say, talked about Patreon. I know Patreon, you guys are great. You throw us a, a little bit of uh, of of your dosh uh, when you can and in in amounts, and it makes a huge difference. Believe me, looking at the money that I spent on comic books, I'm like, thank God for Patreon. I literally said that out loud in a room where nobody was. Uh, in a, in 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 a kind of shocked and relieved way. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you all listeners. We're super super grateful and appreciative. Oh, and I should give of course the super special shout out to uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for not only uh her special ongoing support of this podcast, but for not crushing this edge of the cosmos underneath her mighty cosmic paw. Graham. Next week, everyone, Drock, episode two, where Jeff and I are going to be weirdly more focused by the fact that we have to be. It's two storylines. Yeah, it's two stories. So I mean, there's actually a little bit of shorts at the end as well. Oh, well, that's kind of but, yeah. But it's essentially two stories yeah. for the entire, uh, like, 60 issues, which yeah. is... I'm not insane. It's insane. I actually had sat down with an idea for a strategy of how to approach reading these things so that it would be a little more um, disciplined in discussing it with you. And then, like, threw that up, 
the window when I realized, like, oh, right, it's the cursed earth, and it never ends. Okay, forget what I said. So, yeah. Anyway. Seems fitting. Anyway, that's next week. Uh, otherwise, uh, I will sing us out because this isn't rock yet, so Jeff has to keep that in, in his heart for another week. I'm going to be like, bye! <laughs> that is perfect. Perfect as always.